rdtdaily.com presents a Tara Buster with comedian Tara Devlin. Boom. Hello. What's up? My name is Tara Devlin. Hello. Um, what, what was I going to say? Yes, we meet here every Saturday evening, except when we do a weekday special. We have a Saturday show that always happens at 6 p.m. Eastern at the RDT Daily Facebook and YouTube channels. And we are rebroadcast starting Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Progressive Voices or anytime on the Progressive Voices app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Please give the show a good review on iTunes. <laughs> I say the same thing all the time. I say it in my sleep. I can't say my name without saying SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Please give the show a good review on iTunes. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You're worth it. And live it and become a patron at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin so we can keep the show going and keep the show growing. Okay? Growing like winning. We're growing. I want to thank. We do have a couple of new patrons. They are the sponsors of tonight's show. Oh, my God. We got another patron as I was about to get on air. I wish I had a drum roll in my sound effects. Wow. I'm shocked because I thought only I thought that we were going to thank the two patrons. And now we got three. What? You guys are blowing me out of the water here. Andrew Bosworth is tonight's newest patron. Thank you, Andrew. Where is my applause? <laughs> then we have Dario Harris. Of course, last but not least, Mark and Kathleen Harsky. <laughs> I'm going crazy with these sound effects. All right, that made me very happy. Oh, no, the show's not over. Look at that. See how that works? Bye. <laughs> You're making me giddy with all these patrons coming in like gangbusters. One day we'll have a lot of patrons. We have, you guys are the early adopters of the shows, and I thank you. We won't be able to go, we, we won't have a show without you. I'm telling you. It's, I, I'm not just crying wolf over here. And I appreciate it. More than that, I, it gives me hope for the country, to tell you the truth, because you and I both know that we will not have a country that works for all without a liberal media. And you're looking at the liberal media. And I am, I'm tired. And I'm not getting any younger. Okay? I'm really, I'm not a, I'm not a young person. I know I look young. I was talking to Shannon today. Shannon is a dear old friend of mine. 
and we were remarking on how fast life goes by. But at least, you know, I don't know. It could be worse. I look in the mirror, I'm like, ooh, I think I have a different view of myself in my head, and then I see myself, and I'm like, holy shit, is that really, what? Is that it? Is that what happened? I know it could be. I got to stop it. You have to stop the negative talk. That's another thing. Negative thinking and talking. Negative self-talk is bad karma. It is because you're putting that into the world. And it's very abusive (laughs) to yourself. And we don't need that shit. Okay? We're not. We're better than that. So... Um, let me just dive in. I want to thank you all again, and I will, I'll thank you again during the show. So thank you, Andrew. And I want to, I, I'm blown away because I went, you must have just become a patron right now. Because as I was getting on the air, I was like going to the Patreon page. And I was, I, because I was getting ready to thank our other two patrons. Dario Harris and our our wonderful um, Harsky, Mark and Kathleen Harsky, Hartsky, Hartsky. And then I saw you, Andrew, and you made me happier, if that's even possible. So let's just dive in. I will tell you to become a patron later on, I'm sure, about 50 more times, so... Okay, the reason why I named this show, because every, t- uh, for the, just so it's easier for people, you, know, you got to switch it up a little bit, the, the title, if in, unless it's, you can't just call every show the weekday special. I know um, Haiku has a lot of ideas about, and they're very good ideas, how um, we should have different name brand each day of the week, which we could probably do that. I have to write it down. I forget all of the ones that you said. We stick together Wednesday. I think that was one. And you, you'll you write me again and tell me. I forgot. I have to make graphics for that. That's why it's never happened, because I have to do it. I have to sit down. There's not a lot of time when you're an army of one. So um, I was... Um, the reason I named the show Dear Dems, Stop Normalizing the Con Man Who Received Fewer Votes, is while I was doing my research, as I do for the show, because you got to stay involved, and I, I'm looking around, I'm wondering, I'm looking online, what's happening, I'm looking at the Washington Post, I'm checking out Twitter, I'm checking out the New York Times. On Twitter, I, I do follow Joe Biden. His, his Twitter feed comes up in my feed. And he says, let's see, here it is. This is three hours ago. We are, I'll show you my screen when I'm looking at it. Boom, bum, boom, There we go. We are months into this crisis, and our healthcare workers are still being 
forced to use to reuse masks. It's unacceptable. Mr. President, fix the PPE shortages before you tee off for yet another round of golf. And why, why you might ask, would that drive me insane? Why is he calling this filthy, greed-centered con man who received fewer votes, Mr. President? Why is he normalizing that disgusting con man? He's not a president. Will Democrats ever catch on to what's actually going on here? This is part of the sickness of this country. It's denial. Like uh, the whole family is sick. In a sick family, when you're, I, because I'm an addict in recovery, I know I have a very sick family uh, surrounding me when I was growing up. I was the identified patient. But there's a lot of dysfunctional family dynamics going on. And for many years, although I was an addict right in front of their faces, my parents and my relatives, for the most part, nobody wanted to call it out. They would just pretend. It's easier to pretend not to see. And then also, I'll say being gay as well. That's Not that that's comparable to addiction, but that was another thing that I, I believe my family was in denial about when it came to me. I was also in denial, so I can't really. That's a different story. But uh, let's let's stick to the addiction. Because um, you don't want to see what's right in front of your face. And that's what makes you sick. You don't, you, you're all buying into the dynamic, the denial. And we're in big trouble here. That's why this country is swirling around the bowl. We have an entire system that instead of facing the facts, how many days do the filthy, disgusting cancer, wait, 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 what did we call him? The scum of the scum of the cancer on the scum. I think it's four scums removed, but the scum of the scum of the can on the cancer on the scum. That's the so-called president. How many days this scum on the scum on the cancer on the scum has been in office and each day another crime? He is a criminal. Every day, just because he breaks the law right in front of our faces, we're all supposed to go along with this scam. We are now complicit in the con. Like the rest of when you're when you're a con man, I guess. I don't know. When they I've seen I've seen the TV shows. I watch TV. And they have somebody in the when the snake oil salesman comes to town, they have someone in the audience and they're like, oh, that snake oil cured all, it cured my bursitis. Look at me. I'm dancing now. Oh, my God. They're in on the con. That's us. We're the idiots. They, we expect it from the Republicans, of course. 
because they, they have no shame. They're bottomless. They are, their greed is bottomless. Their ineptitude is bottomless. Their hatred of this country knows no bounds. That's for sure. And we expect them to be the ones going, oh, wow, I am bending over in the beginning. You know, they walk in. They can ba- they're barely walking. They're hobbling in. And, and after all, it's like, whoa, Jesus saves me. And now they're doing a jig. Because the con man, they took the cure. That's the Republicans. But why? Why, are, why is Joe Biden buying into this scam? What's he got? What's his vested interest in this con to keep the American people in, uh, in some kind of belief that we have a functioning system? Is really, is that, um, is he that stupid? I don't think so. Or is he really um, part of the problem? I don't see the Lincoln Project going into the scam. At least, you know, they are calling him out. He is unfit. He is not the president. He is the so-called president. Do you think if the shoe was on the other foot, the Republicans would hesitate? They would be going around calling um, somebody. I, don't, there's no, I mean, it wouldn't happen. The Democrats would not put a... That's one thing you could say about Democrats. For all of their um, the frustration that they cause this world, they, uh, they would never... I mean, maybe they would surprise me, but I doubt it. They would never put somebody as unqualified as Twitler as their standard bearer. They might put somebody as greedy, that's for sure, as, well, I mean, Joe Biden. Who is he? He's the three-time, now I guess he'll be the nominee, but twice before the Democratic Party, all the voters said, no thanks, we'll take a pass, but they are, this is why we're in the, the boat we're in. This is a big problem. We'll never heal this country. There will never be a nation worthy of us unless we call the entire system out. And Joe Biden's insistence on going along with the scam is really part of the problem. How dare he? Mr. President, this is one thing that gets me insane, and and I have finally really put my finger on it because I read his tweets, I see it all the time, and I let's just do a cursory perusal of Biden's Twitter feed. Let's see, I'll I'll just Google. I have my I'm right here on Biden's Twitter feed. Let's see how many times we got Mr. President. Because he does it all the time. Mr. President, fix PPP shortages. Okay, we got that one. President Trump needs to do everything in his power to surge nationwide testing, including developing and evaluating more accurate, affordable, accessible, faster tests so we can reopen safely. Infection rates are rising at an alarming pace, 
Mr. President, act now. Fuck you. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to curse. Yes. What? Shut the hell up. What are you talking about, Mr. President? Act now. Do you know what you're dealing with? I mean, when I ask the conservatives to go to the mirror and slap themselves across the face, I mean you too, Joe Biden. Wake up. You're part of the problem. We are not, we're not infants. This country is filled with adults who are emotionally capable of handling the fact that our government is corrupted by the big-moneyed interests that have a vested interest in keeping us divided, but they also have a vested interest in continuing the illusion that it is a functioning system. Any functioning system wouldn't have put the con man in the catbird seat of power. No, he is the symptom of the big-ass disease. And keeping us in denial, perpetuating this denial, gets us nowhere. How many articles have to be written? How many tell-all books from the insiders? Now we have Mary Trump's book, who says he... And as what we know, we see it right before our eyes. Everybody knows it. To know Twitler is to hate him. To know him is to know how inept he is. So why do you honor him? He is a grifter. He didn't receive the most votes. Okay, he won the Electoral College. Bullshit. I have Greg Palast's book right here detailing all the dirty tricks, the voter suppression, the purged voter rolls. He did not receive the most votes, and going along with the scam doesn't help. It hurts this country more than we will ever know. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't handle it. But guess what? We can handle the truth. How do you fix something? Unless you call it out. Here's Joe Biden again. Joe, what's today's date? The 16th. So all this is this is just in the last couple of days. All of his goddamn tweets. Here's uh, yesterday, the 15th. Mr. President, open everything now, quote unquote, isn't a strategy for success. It's barely a slogan. It's long past time for you to step up and do your job. He actually tweeted that. As if that's a possibility. No. Wouldn't it be more comforting for the rest of us if he got out and came out on stage and said, this shit's broken, mofos. Listen up, bitches. The shit's broken. And Twitler's the symptom. And Mitch McConnell is the symptom. The grave digger of American democracy. But there is Joe Biden talking about how he, he can't wait to work with Mitch McConnell. We got a big-ass problem, ladies and gentlemen. 
And it's not just Twitler. I hate to say it. I wish it were. Wouldn't that be so much easier? Yes, right, Robin on the chat. He's trying to sound like a reasonable person to the dumb ones. That, that is past due. That we have long past trying to sound reasonable to the dummies. They are a lost cause. You, like I, I say on the show all the time, I listen to Tom Hartman. He likes talking to conservatives for some reason. He has some kind of, he's got the patience um, of a saint. I can't even imagine. I, I don't have that patience. I don't have an interest in talking to conservatives. They're welcome to hang out here. Trump and Z's, let's put it that way. The conservative, if you're a reasonable person, yeah, come hang out. We, but somehow they always act like asses. They always reveal themselves to be the infants that they are. So I don't have any time. I don't have time to convince them. I don't have time to teach them the history of Western civilization and how that this country was founded as the antidote to everything that they hold dear. Racism, misogyny. Yeah, okay, we get it. The founders were unabashed hypocrites. But this country, that doesn't change the fact that we were founded as a liberal democracy of by and for the people. That franchise has been expanded over over the decades, of course. This is why Republicans, conservatives, have a problem. They can only handle a democracy if it really means white men. If the founders, if that definition of, of by and for the people is just straight white men with, uh, with property, then they're all game for democracy. But as we expand the franchise and, and uh, more and more people, Americans and humans want a seat at the table... They can't handle it because they're not fit. And they have their, their greed-centered ghouls at the top who buy politicians to corrupt the government and to ensure that the rich get richer and everything that this country is supposed to be founded upon is nothing but a goddamn lie. He's not reasonable. It's not reasonable to not be able to call out the disease staring you in the face. That isn't reasonable. That's denial. That is a sickness unto itself. Calling him Mr. President when he doesn't deserve it? You call him Mr. President when he acts like a president, and that's not going to happen. Frankly, Joe Biden is part of the problem. For that reason. It's, um, it's, it's really, it's sick. Mr. President. Now you tell me, and I, and I've brought this up before. If, how how many Republican presidents that we, do we have to endure who have received fewer votes? How much corruption, manipulation of government over overturning rules and decorum and standards like preventing the twice legally elected in a landslide president 
and thereby extend the extension uh, us, preventing us from fulfilling the constitutionally prescribed role of seating a Supreme Court justice, or at least not seating it, but, you know, proposing the person. How many, um, how many times do the Republicans have to reveal themselves as people who have absolutely no interest in having a functioning democracy? Until, what, Joe Biden? How many, what do you think? Calling them, honoring them by monikers they haven't earned? That supposedly makes it better? That's right, Richard on the chat. How many Republicans never call Obama Mr. President? Of course not. They call him Barack Hussein Obama because, you know, it's scary and foreign sounding. Anything to divide and conquer. Ridiculous. He's a, he's a sociopath. And he didn't earn it. The, well, he didn't earn the presidency. He certainly earned the sociopath moniker. So I see on the Facebook chat, I don't know a single Dem that's normalizing Trump or the GOP. Barbara Hansen. Okay, I I'm I think that if that's good, what is what is Joe Biden doing? That's a that's the Democratic standard bearer right there, Mister President. It's time you did your job. Are you serious? Why are you even bothering? They do him a favor, and it's. Also, they are continuing the scam, making the American people think that this is supposed to be normal. This is normal. This is really okay. This is the way it's supposed to function. It's supposed to function that this, the tax-cheating, draft-dodging, dictator-envying con man with a fake university, a goddamn unabashed racist, who receive fewer votes, that guy is supposed to be able to squat in the White House and commit crimes beyond uh, any, any other, whatever Nixon could come up with in a fever dream. And there's no accountability. And the, the Democratic Party goes along with it. Oh, okay. Well, no. Well, we tried to impeach him. What are you going to do? And Mr. President, this is a person that's supposed to be, that Nancy Pelosi said was an existential threat to the country. We'll act like it. This isn't not, this isn't normal. It's time to, if we're really going to fix this country, we have to name it. You can't, it's like the first step in recovery. Admit it. How can you, how could you get better if you don't know what's wrong? You don't even call it out. You don't even have the, the spine to call it out. You got to pretend. You know why? In my mind, I'm thinking, 
Oh, it's because he has a Joe Biden has a vested interest in the scam himself. It's working out for him. He likes it. It's supposed to be we're supposed to never remember a time before there were uh there what am I trying to say? Never we're not supposed to remember a time before the rich and corporations could buy politicians or the we're not supposed to remember a time before the wants and needs of working people had a statistically insignificant effect on government policy and that is the way it is now that's supposed to be normal and that's the government that joe biden has served in <laughs> serve if you call it serve i don't know i have hopes yeah as we were talking to bob kincaid when he was on the show and he was saying, I, well, because we were talking about voting for Biden, and he, Bob was saying, I have, um, I have hopes that Joe Biden will meet the moment, he'll rise to the moment. I hope so, too. Uh, but it doesn't help. This bullshit. Bullshitting each other. This is part of the problem. I and mean, it's also why this country has never confronted its racist ass history. Because we have never had the maturity to really embrace, not embrace it, but teach it. Teach. Yeah, the founders were unabashed hypocrites when they wrote, All men are created equal. That's what they thought. All men, all white men. With property, period, end of sentence. Not women, not anybody with darker pigment. Forget it. So, yeah, they could write that. We should teach the, our children. Yeah, people who wrote that also wrote, they were also uh, holding human beings as property at the same time. So, and we built this country on uh, genocide. Violating every single treaty that we ever uh, we ever enacted with the Native Americans, everything was a lie. No, they don't want to teach that history, the real history of the United States. They'd rather put their fingers in their ears and cover their eyes and chant "USA, USA, USA," and talking about it the real history of this country doesn't mean that you're you're not in fact it's actually the opposite it doesn't mean that you don't love the country and i i, I challenge any republican to put a really explain to me what they mean when they say they love this country what do they mean what do you love about this country cuz you can't love the country and hate about just about everybody in it what do you do? They say, oh, uh, freedom. I love freedom. What freedom? The freedom to go bankrupt when you're sick? The freedom to needlessly die without health care? The freedom to be ridden to the bank unmercilessly by for-profit corporations who can't seem to make a buck unless they can use America the beautiful as a corporate toilet for their poisonous waste? Unless they can rig the game in their favor? What's that mean, freedom? 
Because for many of us, for real, true patriots, for real Americans, freedom means e pluribus unum. We're in it together. Out of many, one. We are strengthened when we are together. We are weakened when we are apart. That's what the founders said themselves. We better hang together or we will surely hang separately. Haven't we learned? So, no, um, Joe Biden calling Twitler Mr. President, giving him these honorifics he doesn't deserve, he hasn't earned, isn't reasonable. It's really uh, part of the sickness, and we are in denial. We're capable of um, looking at ourselves. Somebody has to have the goddamn courage Don't call him Mr. President until he acts like it. Call him Trump. Like they call him Obama. Call him Donald John Trump. Like Barack Hussein Obama. I call him Twitler. He's not the president. He didn't earn it. He didn't receive the most votes. And he hasn't done anything to earn the moniker And he's a crook. How many crimes will we allow him to get away with? He's been getting away with crimes his entire life. So, for example, even, well, here, From the Washington Post, the Trumps think rules don't apply to them. Their Goya endorsements prove it. Don't think for a second that that was just uh, about a can of beers, uh, beans, beer, can of beer, can of beans. Well, whatever. By Walter M. Schaub, Jr., Late Tuesday night, assistant to the president, Ivanka Trump, tweeted an odd photo of herself dramatically holding a can of Goya black beans. Because that's what's important now, don't you think? With 130,000 Americans dead and 3 million sick and fifty or going on 50 million out of work in the second, the third... Republican Great Depression? Every time Republicans and conservatives in general, conservatives, whether they be conservative Democrats or conservative Republicans or, or just the fascist old damn run-of-the-mill lick-spittle fascist Republican Party, every time they get their greedy, filthy, disgusting fingers, their their paws, their grasping paws around the neck of power, they wreck it. They ruin whatever they touch. Prove me wrong. I'm open to change. I'm open to learning and knowing new things. Show me. Anybody out there, if you can show me one thing that the Republican Party have, has, uh, has done, to help this country, to help the working class of this country. I would like to see it, please. 
I might be pleasantly surprised. I, I need some hope. So do me a favor. Send me. Don't send me something from Mitch McConnell's Twitter feed saying, oh, jobs, jobs, jobs. Because they're full of shit. Look in the mirror, Trump banzies. It ain't a good picture. I mean, that's who you look at as a leader? Somebody who holds up a Goya. Look at this. Look at this idiot. That's what's important. This vacant-eyed, fake-ass smile with a can of beans. While people are burying their loved ones. While others are trying to breathe. While others are trying to keep a roof over their head in spite of not having a having goddamn work even though the united states is the only western democracy that is experiencing this kind of unemployment in the pandemic thanks to the ineptitude of the trump crime family and their conservative enablers they are incapable as they, I've always said. I hate to be right in this circumstance. I wish I was wrong. I wish I could be proven wrong. Say, hmm, gee, I was wrong about that. They actually really hit that one out of the park. But no. Look at this. Look at her. She is a disgrace. This patent whore. This Chinese sweatshop labor patent whore thinks, oh, uh, find something new. Oh, look at this. I found a can of beans. Oh, God. Above the photo, she wrote the company's slogan in English and Spanish. It's, if it's Goya, it has to be good. Si est Goya tiene que ser bueno. I know I can't speak Spanish. I can barely speak English. If it's Goya, it has to be good. You, you embarrassment. People died for this country, you embarrassing goddamn. What are you, spokesmodel? Turning this country into nothing but another goddamn scam. That's all it is. We see nothing but a scam happening. That's why I'm incensed. And Joe Biden's in on the scam, and it's pissing me off. Shut up, Joe Biden. Don't go. Oh, I'm reasonable. Look at me. I'm reasonable. Honey, anybody looks reasonable next to that fucking goddamn grifter. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. My goddamn cat would make a better president. You know he would. He licks his own ass less than Trump licks his ass. And everybody else, they line up for a spot. If it's Goya, it has to be good. How are you feeling now, America? You feeling great yet? Are we great yet? Are we great yet? She posted the same photo and slogan on Instagram as well. The next day, Trump 
not the president. He says president, but I say Twitler. Posted, posted a picture in which he posed at the White House desk in front of an array of Goya products grinning and offering a two thumbs up. That's what they have done to this country. It's The corruption is right out in the open. The oligarchy for many years have kept the complete corporatization, the fascism, right under the radar. They've always pretended. Now it's right out in the open. You understand? We're all, we're nothing in this picture. We're the working class. That's why they want the school children back at school. They want workers back at, at work. Who cares if you die? Death is incidental to them. There's somebody right coming up right behind you to take your place. You're nothing. You're not a human being. You don't have value. No, all lives don't matter. If only they did. If only all lives matter, we wouldn't have to say black lives matter. But all lives matter. No, no, no. Only one life matters. Twitler. You get it? And all of the greed bastards, the greed ghouls, the ghosts of the Gilded Age, they're fine with that because they, they're, they're, they're making buku bucks on your death and your granny's death and your kid's death and your mama's death. It don't matter. You're nothing. Yeah, shove some Goya in your mouth. Shove some pigs. Have a side of pig carcass with that after Twitler undid all the FDA rules, so there's zero. They took the FDA inspectors from six on the line to zero, meaning that 90% of the food supply is now tainted with feces, pig toenails, intestines, vulvas, penises, you know, stuff that human beings don't eat. And not only that they don't eat it, they can't. You can't digest that stuff. You can't digest the sinew you can't digest certain parts of the animal. That's why you will get sick. And the FDA inspectors who came, who blew the whistle, said, you'll get sick and you won't put it together. You won't realize, oh, that's because I ate a pig's penis and I didn't know it. Or I ate some pig feces. Because that's now allowed into the food. Well, I don't call it food, but some people do. That's how much Trump loves you. That's how much he loves America, the American people, you know, the blue-collar billionaire. He loves the working class. He's, the, he's fighting for you. The forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no more. Right? He loves you so much. Would you, would somebody who loves you feed you feces? What do you think? Yeah, you? Mommy, I love you. Here, have some feces. You, th you feed your children feces? You feed your granny feces? You don't feed anybody feces unless you hate their filthy, disgusting guts. Unless they're nothing to you. 
They have absolutely zero respect for the American people. And I ask, how much longer are we going to take it? They don't even have the respect to tell us the truth. Here, eat some fucking beans, assholes, and some pig carcasses with tainted with feces and toenails and shut your mouth and go to work. Send your kid to school. You're not going to be able to stay home and watch your kid. So go. You send Johnny to school to die. You could go to the pig processing plant to die. And they're going to be sitting in top uh, at, on the, uh, at the ivory tower, in their ivory tower, looking down on the plebs, laughing at how easy it was to turn people against each other. It only took them a few hundred years, up and down, of course, but now the complete destruction is almost completely complete. It only goes by with the complicity of enablers. And Joe Biden, in my opinion, is an enabler. Calling him the president? No way. It's like, let's call it what it is. What's happening? This is an unfit con man who has absolutely no business. He had no business owning a casino. He had no business owning Trump stakes or putting his filthy, stupid name on the building. He had no business being on any magazines or being interviewed. This is a sick country that gives a con man everything he wants that goes along with the game. And that's one thing that I read and we read a little bit of Mary Trump's book yesterday. And I hope you read it. But... That's what she said. It was, uh, it was uh, an army of uh, all of these different entities conspiring together to create this monster, continuously failing upward, going in, buying in, and uh, enabling him. The banks did it. The media did it. Mark Burnett and uh, all of the, especially the corporate media when he, and the Republican Party now. And all of his idiots at the Trump-Nuremberg rallies. All of the failure that's well documented, the crimes are well documented, the racism is well documented. And we, what, what? We're still going to pretend. This is, it, it, it's, um, how, this is how a republic dies. Do you understand? I'm telling you. You know it. We know it. There's no excuse for it. That's why I say to support the liberal media, you're not going to hear this. We have, uh, uh, well, on corporate media, I'm saying, but um, we have an obligation. It, it, we all, you see what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. It, it's not abating. 
and it and good. It has to grow and it has to continue. So that's how we make change, you understand? We say we don't take no for an answer. We don't take yes for an answer. When they get to the point of, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, don't you just go home. I'm taking a knee, okay? No, that's not good enough. We need actual policy changes. Same thing here. We gonna, we're going to go along with the uh, enabling of this con man? Who are we? An, oh, is this a, a whole country of Jeff Sessions and Bill Barrs? That's how it happens, though. This is how republics die. Like when the Roman Republic died, they all went along with it. They went along with calling who, well, before he was Augustus, he was Octavian. They called him, they didn't call him emperor. They called him the first citizen. He wasn't an emperor, you see, because the Roman people had an, they had an aversion to monarchy. For 500 years, they were taught about the evils of monarchy and kings. And there you had one. So he was only the first among equals. So they all went along with the game. They called him the, the first citizen, for the principus. So why? I, f I feel like this is happening here. Let's pretend that this is a legitimate system that legitimately elected a illegitimate, completely incapable, completely unfit human being. If this was a legitimate system and we accidentally elected an illegitimate, unfit human being, this legitimate system would get rid of the illegitimate, unfit human being. You know, get him away. He doesn't, he doesn't belong in the Oval Office. He doesn't have any business being there. He can't do the job. He's, in fact, making everything worse. We will not survive another four years. Absolutely not. The country will be over. The grand experiment in liberal democracy is dead. For good, in that case. But I don't appreciate effing Democrats trying to prop this goddamn, this joke, prop him up. If only it was a joke, frankly. If only it was just a joke. And the Democrats going along with it is a big, big problem. Let me, while we're on the subject, I'm trying to think where, which one, I was reading this reading this Washington Post article, but I want to read some of Greg Pallast's book to drive the point home. So I'll, we'll do that. Okay. This is from Greg Pallast's book. How Trump Stole 2020. Okay. Available at Amazon. <laughs> Available everywhere, in bookstores everywhere. So Greg Palace writes, 
Oops, sorry. I keep hitting this damn mic. I know. I got to get better. Be better. Be better, Devlin. Be better. America, let's talk. I get it. You're stunned. You elected an orange-stained, gelatinous bag of malicious mendacity, a snorting porcupine pustule of bloviating bigot hinged to grasping little griplets, a bloated ball of gracelessness and crybaby petulance as president of the United States. America, you could stop hiding your face in shame. You are not guilty. Trump didn't win 2016, and I'm not talking about Trump losing the popular vote. Trump lost the Electoral College. That is, he lost, if you count all the votes, burgled, jacked, swiped, shoplifted, purloined, filched, fiddled, and snatched from citizens not of a whitish orange you. Unless we rise up, 2020 will be deja vu all over again. Let's get this clear from the jump. Trump didn't mastermind the steal of the vote. He didn't have the native smarts to pull off that caper. For that, he has his stable of Rhodes scholars, database gurus, and lethal legal weenies. I give you their names later, those who did the dirty. If you're reading this during Trump's second term in 2021 or third term in 2025, keep reading, because there's nothing new under the sun. This is a con that's as old as Jim Crow and older, back to the time when George Washington fought to give Jews and Catholics the right to vote. I spent 20 years cracking the code on ballot burglary, schemes with names like cross-check and caging and spoiling, Expose one, another one pops up like a -a whack-a-mole. Every four years, some new cheat. I couldn't figure this one out. How are they going to take 2020? Until I started tracking a character with a shotgun, a chainsaw, a pickup truck, a dynamite detonator, and a lot of love from the Coke Industries. On November 7th, 2018, it all snapped into place when Chainsaw was elected the 83rd white governor of Georgia. It was raining that day in Atlanta, but all I could see were large tears tracking down the face of Christine Jordan's the f- niece. Wait, sorry. The the face of Christine Jordan's niece. It's horrible, she said. Miss Jordan, 92 years old, had dressed elegantly for the occasion, her 50th year at the same polling station, voting right here since 1968. Miss Jordan said, the year her cousin, Martin Luther King Jr., was gunned down. But she would not vote this time. They threw her out of the polling station. It's horrible, repeated her niece, Jessica. It's horrible to come out and not be able to vote, and no one can give you an explanation. She held civil rights meetings in her home, and they had no record of her? She was here in the West End community, When we couldn't, she choked on the word, vote. It's extremely emotional and it bothers me. It bothers me to the core, she said. I'm sorry, she apologized while crying. I'm sorry. I'm an investigative reporter. This is Greg Palast. 
I don't cry, but it bothered me too, because I knew I was witnessing more than the ugly Jim Crow blockade of an elderly black woman from the ballot box. I knew I was witnessing the successful test run in Georgia of a new vote-snatching game that would re-elect Donald Trump no matter what the will of the American voter. I've seen this movie before in November, 20, in the, in November 2000 when I got my hands on two computer disks from inside the offices of Catherine Harris, chair of the P Bush for President campaign, and crucially, the Secretary of State of Florida. The, per the person in charge of the voting. <laughs> I cracked the codes and discovered that Harris had flushed 97,000 voters from the registration rolls, most of them black, tagging them as felons, ex-cons who can't vote. In fact, the number of illegal ex-con voters, zero. Harris announced George W. Bush had won Florida and therefore the presidency of the United States. That is, quote-unquote, won by excluding the tens of thousands of African Americans she had secretly, illegally barred from voting. And here I was in Georgia 18 years later and it's deja vu all over again. Raheem Shabazz was also at the same polling station as Miss Jordan. He also had been given the heave-ho. He got no ballot, but they did give him a lapel sticker that said, I'm a Georgia voter, printed on a peach, the state fruit. At the next polling station, Ashley Jones, a Latina, thought um, had brought her three cute daughters to watch her get bounced from the poll as well. Bounced along with Yasmin Bakahari, daughter of uh, Iranian immigrants, whose name had also mysteriously vanished off the rolls. You think this is not happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Greg Pallast, investigative reporter, reporting probably one of the most important story in the country right now, while Twitter is sitting in front of a well, besides all the death, there wouldn't be all this death if we had legitimately elected leaders. We probably wouldn't be in an endless war of corporate aggression in the Middle East. We wouldn't, we'd still have solar panels on the White House. We would probably not have been attacked on September 11th. How much longer? Are we going to let it go? Are we going to take it? And Joe Biden, he has to stand there and continue the ruse, play along with the game. This is what we should be talking about. They're doing it again. They're kicking people off the rolls. They're going to call it an amazing upset. Just like Hillary Clinton. Oh, nobody knew. 90%. They gave her a 95% chance. What's that That poll, that guy? What's his name? You know who I'm talking about. On the cover of the Huffington Post on the day of the election. I remember commuting and I saw, oh, Huffington Post says, Hillary Clinton has a 95% chance of winning the presidency. That sounds great. I can't wait. 
to have the first female president. Won't that be historic? But let's all pretend that Trump is the president. Let's play hail to the chief. Let's call him Mr. President. We really need your leadership right now. God damn it. <sighs> At the next polling station. Oh, yes, I wrote that. Dark hued voters by tens, by the tens of thousands were flushed from voter registries. The purge. They didn't accuse Miss Jordan of being a felon, an ex-con. So what is this new game? Brian Kemp. This is the next chapter. Brian Kemp stood next to his pickup truck. Ah, like to blow it up. Kaboom. A dynamite cap spews a part of his lawn into the hedges. Government spending. Remember these ads? This is what he's describing. Brian Kemp's ads. He's like, Next we see Kemp with a shotgun pointed at a nervous young man to ensure the kid has a healthy respect for the Second Amendment. And he adds in his brand new dog patch accent. <laughs> brand new, of course. I got a big truck just in case I got to round up some criminal illegals and take them in myself. Yeah, I just said that. See these bastards? They are, they're unfit. That's who you're going to work with, Joe Biden? Or are you going to call them out for the criminals that they are? And for the game, the scam that they're perpetrating on this country? Brian Kemp isn't some redneck goober. He just plays one on TV. Until recently, he dressed as what he is, landed gentry. With that soft Jimmy Carter New South accent, Brooks Brothers blue suit and tie. But running for governor of the Peach State, he went full hayseed. Old jeans, plaid shirts, pickup truck and shotguns. And the yokels ate it up. Brian Kemp has a problem. Stacey Abrams, his opponent, a super populator, a populator, a super popular legislator, Harvard Law grad, both parents, Baptist ministers, the daughter of every parent dreams of, the nice lady next door, the kind that will give your kid help with their homework. No visible shotgun, no chainsaw, just a plan, just a plan for expanding health care. In the polls, Abrams was passing Kemp's alien-ridden pickup truck. And Kemp had another problem, demographics, a lack of good old boys. The census is about to list Georgia as the first, quote, minority-majority state in the Deep South, whites outnumbered by non-whites. And as the first African-American woman in history to run for governor of any state in the USA, the black turnout would be crushing and decisive. Bluntly, there were simply not enough white people to make Kemp governor. But Kemp wielded a dark weapon more powerful than voters. As Secretary of State, Kemp had the complete authority over the election. Kemp could say where the people vote how they voted, and most importantly, who gets to vote. There's a cable news TV show. I mean, well, is it? Wait, yes, that's right. There's a cable TV show. It's called The Purge, in which Americans in the future get one day a year where they can kill anyone they want to kill. It's based on a true story. Once a year, 
Since the beginning of this century, a group of political hitmen, secretaries of state, are allowed to wipe out the voting rights of Americans by purging them from the voter rolls. As the Persian general of Georgia, Kemp used his power like a chainsaw. In the lead-up to his run for governor, Kemp purged 665,677 people, two-thirds of a million registrants, the purge erased the voting rights of one in eight Georgians, including Miss Jordan, Mr. Shabazz, Miss Jones, and Miss Bakaharti. If you're thinking, how can this guy run for governor and be in charge of his own election? You've never been to Georgia. I admit, it's a, I'm a suspicious man. I've been trailing Kemp for Al Jazeera and Rolling Stone for six years. His trick bag of voter suppression tools, including prior purges that smelled like Jim Crow, kept drawing me back to Georgia. But this purge was breathtaking, something new. Surely there must be a law to prevent something like someone like Kemp from taking away your voter registration? Yes, it's called the National Voter Registration Act of 1993, known as the Motor Voter Roll Law because it requires states to give out registration forms in your driver's license applications. Every DMV becomes a safe voter registration center. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 won African Americans the right to vote in the South. But you can't vote if you're not registered. So the NVRA jammed registration right down the throats of the states that still made voting for black people a cruel obstacle course. Not that the grand, the good old boys hadn't come up with a way around the motor voter laws. I just returned from a visit to the DMV in uh, Alabama. The door was locked midday. The DMV had been closed by order of the state, as was virtually every single DMV in the black belt, quote unquote, counties of Alabama, the African-American counties. Kemp himself was even less subtle. When a registration drive sent Georgia officials 86,419 registration forms of new voters, mostly young students of color, Kemp simply didn't add 40,000 of them to the rolls. In 2016, I flew to Atlanta to find out what the hell was going on. I met an attorney, Nice Yufut. You should know what Kemp's office told us. We don't know what you're talking about. What forms? They did not disappear. We intentionally registered voters on paper form so that we could make copies. We knew who they were. They were not on the rolls. Kemp responded by threatening to arrest the voter registration leaders, including the founder, Stacey Abrams, for alleged criminal tampering of voter registration forms. That is, they copied the forms so Kemp couldn't disappear them. Ufat saw the registrations sitting in government offices piled high and dusty with my own four eyes, she says. She wears glasses. Once the forms were discovered, quote-unquote, Kemp's office then claimed the government simply had no time to review the applications that was in 2014. In 2018, four years later, Kemp 
had still not found the time to add these voters to his roles. So, guys, that's what we're up against. An illegitimate criminal cabal and a coup. Yeah, it's not, it's not a joke. And they're doing it. Republicans hate this country, conservatives. They are trying to drag us back to the very system the founders rebelled against. I say it all the time. Let's get on with the program. Let's get together and see the forest through the trees. It doesn't help when the Democratic Party refuses to face reality. And it makes me suspicious, frankly, that they refuse somebody like Biden. He refuses to see reality because he's benefiting from this broken system. He has made a career in it. It's so much easier to keep the ruse going. Calling him Mr. President makes it seem like nothing is wrong here except we don't have the right guy in the office. Everything else is working just fine. As we were about to go on the air tonight, and in the theme of what we're talking about, from Newsweek, Florida felons are still not allowed to vote after the Supreme Court denies the case. This is what they're doing. They're trying to limit as many people from voting. They're trying to block people from voting. They are stripping the right that so many Americans fought, bled, and died to, to entrust to us, to give to us. They are spitting in the, on, the, on the dead bodies of every veteran in every cemetery all over this globe. This is the country. This is, I mean, well, the party of law and order. They love democracy. They love America so much they can't help but hump a flag when they see it. USA, USA, they wearing all their red, white, and blue fashion abortions all over town, screaming at people, speak English, speak English, speak English. While... The, this America, the democracy, is, it's, a, it's a joke. It's a sham. So from Newsweek tonight, it came out, Alyssa, S- S- how do you pronounce her name? Salisco? The U.S. Supreme Court on Thursday declined to intervene in a lower court ruling that could prevent up to one million felons who have served their sentences from voting in Florida unless they pay fees and restitution. So now, we, yeah, yeah they, not serving their time is not good enough. They have to pay a poll tax extensively. So they can make any arbitrary rule. They're just doing it so they prevent these people from voting. And if this is one of the things that drove me insane in the Democratic primary, too. Oh, you want people like the Boston bomber, the, the uh, marathon bomber to vote or whatever they were saying? It's, you could take any heinous act from any 
particular crime. If we really embrace voting, if that's what we're, uh, this country is about, then, yeah, everybody gets a vote. There's no reason why people in prison shouldn't vote. They vote all over the world, people in prison vote. But it's all about, it's another, it's another scam. It's like the all lives matter chant. Of course all lives don't matter to these freaks. Nobody matters except themselves. All lives, they're, they're just telling you, shut the F up. It's the same thing when they say they love America. Well, if they love America, they would understand what America is about and why people sacrificed their very lives and what um, a heavy burden, what a heavy duty we have to ensure that it works for all, to honor those people's sacrifices. So... All, uh, all of this stripping voting rights from felons, all of these, it's easy to, um, to use that to, to inflate and to inflame and divide. Oh, well, how do you allow somebody who, you know, ABC, fill in the blank. It's, the same, it's like what they did with George Floyd. He committed a crime. He was in the grips of addiction. So they, they say, oh, we shouldn't honor George Floyd. He's somebody who had opiates in his system, and he had committed a crime, and he did this and that. So therefore negating basically everything that the Black Lives Matter movement was supposed to be about, right? So they we, we need to, it nullifies the entire cry for justice because the person who was murdered by the police had struggles. He was an addict. Yeah, unlike Rush Limbaugh, who could pay his housekeeper to go out and buy drugs for him, he he committed a crime which in my opinion is more th- all the more reason that we need universal health care see because if addicts who are in the grip of their disease can get treatment rather than turn to criminal acts then isn't that better for the community no but it's not better for a divide and conquer mentality of the elite that want to keep us at each other's throats and keep us divided by saying, hey, I got mine. You know, Rush Rush Limbaugh, he got his. And then some. He didn't have to, and Glenn Beck too. He didn't have to go commit a crime because he had money. He could buy his drugs legally and peacefully, I guess. But, oh, yes, you want the vote. Do you want the the bomber, the Unabomber to vote or whatever? You want the Boston Marathon bomber to vote? Let's pick one person out who is uh, who sucks. OK. I don't like uh, when Trump and when I don't like when Trump and Z's vote. You like Trump and Z's voting? Well, if we all if we believe in voting. Why shouldn't uh, prisoners vote? 
They're part of the community. Aren't we trying to make... They will be our... First of all, okay, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. They will, if when they serve their time, they will be returning to the community. Isn't it in the community interest to make them a part of the community that they have a vested interest in that community instead of another thing that separates them from the community? Aren't we supposed to be rehabilitating them? No, 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 not in this oh-so-evolved all-lives-matter fake-ass democracy. But to continue with this, the article from tonight from the, the Supreme Court declined to intervene in a lower court ruling that could prevent up to one million felons who have served their sentences from voting in, the Flor- in Florida unless they pay restitution and fees. Even though, um, I thought poll taxes were illegal. They could do that in this way. They could do it in other ways. They will say, if uh, you mark these words, it could, they could do it to prisoners or to people um, who are formerly prim- prisoners. I don't know how, how do you pronounce, how do you say it? Um, they do it to that, to, they could do it to this group because it's a vilified, stigmatized group. But you mark my words, they will attempt, there will come a time, just like Republicans, you mark these words too, there will come a time where Republicans will continue. They have done it, all right? They'll try to overturn child labor laws. You watch. They have done it, and they have been doing it periodically. They will continue to do it. They will get closer. And if it gets to the point, they will be able to do it if we allow them, if we give them an inch. Trust me. They have tried repeatedly to overturn child labor laws. They call it training wages. They, they, they don't want... They they want a they want a completely subjugated working class. So anyway, that that's an aside. But as far as this, if they're able to put poll taxes on former prisoners or felons or whatever, because they have to pay their fines. Sometimes these fines are hefty, and. They're not going to be paying them, maybe not in this lifetime. They'll be paying them for their entire lives. So, who knows? Not at not at uh, $15 an hour, not at seven fifty forty five an hour, that's for sure. But they will do it. They will find ways to make it that you won't be able to vote unless, uh, let's say, if you have debt... If you've missed a debt payment, if you are behind on whatever, on a bill, you wait. They will figure it out some way to ensure that you, any way to keep you from the pulse. Just because we have won certain advances, never ever rest. You don't win it, and then it's like, hey, high five. We're done. Let's go back to sleep. 
that you gotta remain vigilant. Yes, <laughs> vigilant. I won't say diligent and vigilant. You have to remain especially diligent and awake. This is really happening, ladies and gentlemen. We're not kidding. They are trying. They're, they're succeeding. I hate to say it. They're trying this. I've been saying they're trying. They're trying to do this. They're trying. If they do that, they, they're going to be able to do this. They're, they're trying. They're trying to roll us back. I've been saying that for generations now, it seems. For decades. And I'm, I'm goddamn right. And it sucks. I hate it. And you wait. You wait. So they have poll taxes on felons. Anything to stop people from voting. You get it? It's not because they value voting. It's such a precious thing. Because that's the way they present it. Oh, it's so precious. You should be able to go get an ID. You should be able to take three buses and go to a DMV that's not open. on. Uh, it's only open on a, three hours a day every other uh, leap year or whatever. You should be able to do that because you love voting so much. No, you should be able to vote. If we love voting so much, they don't want you to vote. If they wanted us to vote, if, if they, they only tolerated. Um, and that's why we have to get unified. And they have to be at the point. These people who have the power, they, have, they are overtly flaunting it right in front of our faces, the corruption. Why? Why do they do that? Because there's no consequences. And then you have Joe Biden playing along, pretending like it's not fucking happening. You wait, I'm telling you. They will do, they will bring back, it's not just, uh, okay, with voting, whatever we have won, they're bringing back debtors' prisons. I mean, all of these things, you think that we haven't seen, we'll never see it again. That's why the Jews say never again about the Holocaust, as if, the, they say it, we all should say it, and... That's why we have to remain vigilant, because it will happen again, unless we we stop it. And you have to nip it in the bud. But we are far, far, far gone. We have to recognize. I mean, I recognize it. I know you do. But it's a little bit ridiculous when you have the, the, the presumptive Democratic nominee who is really doing the goddamn legwork of, of the deception. He should be screaming to the heavens. He should be crowing around like Chicken Little about all the Republican dirty tricks. And... He should certainly not be honoring the con man who received fewer votes. And not just him. I say it all the time here, too, with the Democratic Party. 
they should not be honoring Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. They should, every time they get in front of a camera, they should remind the American people that they are illegitimate. They're squatting on the Supreme Court illegitimately, just like Twitler's illegitimate, and all the Republicans are illegitimate in their gerrymandered districts who where we have Democrats receiving millions more votes, but still not being in power. This is a broken system where the Democrats, you, what do you think if the shoe was on the other foot? Would the Republicans go, okay, I guess we lost. Oh, well, Mr. President, what can we do? Let's work across the aisle. No, <laughs> they would be flipping out only because they don't have any interest in having a functioning society. That's not their game. Their game is divide and conquer and oligarchy, create and entrench oligarchy. And if you have to hump a flag to pretend that you love America and you have to suck up to to the uh, anybody in uniform, it's the same trick. We've seen this before. This is a thousands of year old story. Like the Praetorian Guard. That's why it's dangerous that the police, a militarized police force, where the, because an illegitimate government that is not working for the people, the, the, they need their Praetorian Guard to keep the plebs in their place. To, to protect the power, the illegitimate power. For freaking sake, God. God. What the hell? Wait a minute here. Am I out of my mind? <laughs> What a question. I just thought I I thought somebody just became a patron. That's why I went bug, bugged out. But no, it was it was Andrew. I had just refreshed the screen. I thought somebody else became a patron. And I was like, "What? What's going on in this world? There's something really happening." And thank you Jim for your super chat as always, Jim. Thank you. And Robin, thank you. And I appreciate that for anti-enabling. Yeah. We all have to be anti-enablers. I I really want... When is Joe Biden... Is he... Well, I guess it won't be the same. No, I was going to say, when is he coming to do a town hall or something? Because I really want to get in front of him and say this shit to him and see what he says. He'd probably call me a lion pony face dog soldier or something. No, lion dog face pony soldier. He'll call me a liar. He'll challenge me to push up contest. I'll win. <laughs> Don't worry, I win. But yeah. So let's see. Uh, the court order prevents thousands of otherwise eligible voters from participating in Florida's primary election 
simply because they are poor, Sotomayor wrote in her dissent. And it also, well, and it allows the Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit to disrupt Florida's election process just days before the July 20th voter registration deadline for the August primary, she added. Even though the a preliminary injunction has been in place for nearly a year and a federal court had found the state's pay-to-vote scheme unconstitutional after an eight-day trial. Many states restore voting rights to felons that have served their sentences, but until recently, Florida was one of a handful of states where felons were banned from voting for life. However, almost 65% of Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment restoring voting rights to felons and had completed their, who had completed their sentence, except for those convicted of murder or sex crimes. Well, that seems kind of reasonable to me. So, fine. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of pedophiles, you know, they're scum to me, but not, I, I, that's my own line, of course. Well, I guess it's everybody's line in a way. Yeah, when you talk about uh, anybody who is like an animal abuser, I would put in that category too. People who are so disgustingly vile, such bottom feeders. They're all bottom feeders, though. The, I'm thinking of the Trump crime family, frankly, who take advantage of those who can't fight back. So anybody who harms a child or an animal is the scum of the earth to me. But, yeah, that's why I know myself, because I always... So one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, because now we're executing people again, and I, I would like to... I feel like murdering some people, too. I hate people <laughs> sometimes. Not all people. I, uh, a lot of them. I hate. I don't know. Should I hate? I know. I should be a better person. Anybody who hurts people I love. I can't. I, there's some. There are people that are just horrible, vile, scum, serial killers. And uh, yeah, I like to fucking, you know, kill them myself. I don't know. But as a society, I fear that's where we go wrong. We, we, we should bring out the better in each other. And it says everything about us, not, it, not about them. They're scum. So we should not meet scum with scum. That's the higher, our higher selves. Honor, if we really are honoring life, it says everything about us. That's why with uh, factory farms, the way we treat animals on factory farms, it doesn't, it says everything about us. So we're executing, there's another, we had another federal execution we're, I think we are the only Western country now that, uh, that is executing prisoners or executing anybody in general. 
let's see. Uh, United States. We're in league with Saudi Arabia. All the the world's cesspools. Let's see. Executions around the world. Amnesty International recorded at least 657 executions in 20 countries worldwide in 2019. The total, uh, one of the smallest since Amnesty began tracking executions in 1979, was a 5% decrease from the 690 executions recorded in 2018. Countries with the most confirmed executions... China, number one, Iran, number two, Saudi Arabia, number three, Iraq, number four, Egypt, number five, United States, number six, Pakistan, seven, and Somalia. This is our company that we're, we're in good company, right? My mom always used to say, know people by their friends. You want to know somebody? Look at who they hang out with. Know them by the company they keep. Water seeks its level. This sounds like a great country to you? China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Egypt, United States, Pakistan, and Somalia. Countries with the most... Death sentences, China, Pakistan, Egypt, Bangladesh, India, Zambia. This is last year. Now we will meet this and we will exceed it if Twitler has his way because everything that is weak is strong to the filthy sociopaths. So we've already executed two people this week. Eh, that's who we are. We're... We're unabashed hypocrites who s scream all lives matter and then we execute people because all my lives matter. I don't find, I, I don't see it. They'll say, well, this person killed an old person and, and killed a young person. And yeah, this is a vile scumbag. It's more, in fact, I think death is really too easy to tell you the truth. Separate them from the f the company of of humans. There's not there's nothing more vile. There's nothing more painful than that. But that's who we are. Hypocrisy is the beating heart of the of America. I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to cry over a di or some, yeah, uh, whatever, over some fucker who killed people, but it's not about him. I'm sorry. It's about us. Yeah, he's a scumbag. Wesley Perkey was executed Thursday morning after the Supreme Court cleared the way for a second federal execution since 2003. Perky, 68, was originally scheduled to be executed on Wednesday, but a flurry of last-minute legal filings delayed his death. Early Thursday morning, the Supreme Court cleared the way for his execution, lifting injunctions from a federal judge. You know, Supreme Court. 
Oh, I thought there were all these Catholics on the court. Thought that that was against their religion. Except, oh, it's only when they want to control a woman's body and her choices and her medical, private medical decisions. Uh, if only they were consistent, you see, then I would be, I would understand. But they're such open, unabashed frauds. If you're pro-life, pro-life used to mean pro-life. It did, a hundred years ago, meaning you were for life. You were against executions. It wasn't, if you're for life, you're for life. No, but these people are, you know, they're not that evolved. Perky was sentenced to death in 2004 after he was convicted in federal court for interstate kidnapping of a 16-year-old, Jennifer Long, in 1998. Perky made a final statement before his death. I deeply regret the pain and suffering I caused to Jennifer's family. I am deeply sorry. I regret the pain I caused my daughter, who I love so much. The sanitized murder really does not serve no purpose whatsoever, he says. He added. The Supreme Court's order granted the government's request to lift an injunction that had blocked Perky's execution and Justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Elena Kagan dissented. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chukkan issued an injunction on Wednesday prohibiting the Federal Bureau of Prisons from going forward with Perky's scheduled execution noting that Perky suffers from dementia, schizophrenia, and severe mental illness, but did not rule on whether Perky is competent and ordered the court to further evaluate these claims. Perky's attorneys continue to appeal. Even as he was about to be executed, his attorneys fought to get him clemency or get him a competency hearing as they argued he was mentally incompetent and executing him would be unconstitutional. Well, not anymore. We've always executed mentally ill and uh, people who didn't know. In fact, didn't Clinton do that to show what a big man he was? He executed a mentally incompetent person who said his last meal, he said, oh, I want to save that because I'm going to eat that later. as they were taking him off to the to get the injection but that was clinton that he had to pander to re- republicans this is where we are in this country we i contend and i say it all the time that this sick ass country is very sick partly because we have always sought to seek compromises with the very sick among us, as if they have a legitimate voice or a legitimate argument to bring to the table. We've compromised the compromise of 1860, whatever, 54, or all the compromises with the slave owners that had this country in incessant turmoil and compromised to with to the to the point where we couldn't properly heal from the civil war these effing southerners who 
took up arms against the government, the traitors, who Republicans all cheer because they're traitors too. Of course they're, they want to cheer the traitors because they're hoping in the future somebody puts their statue up instead of calling them out for who they are, traitors. No, all the traitors, the, it's, we've always had to, what, find common ground with the traitors, with the people who absolutely have no interest in having a country live up to its founding ideals, e pluribus unum. They have no interest in that. But that's really the truth, though. All the compromises. What are you compromising with? It's either right or it's wrong. Well, obviously there's some gray areas, but not when you're talking about human rights or democracy. Either we are a country of, by, and for the people, or we're not. Or stop effing around. Stop pretending. I would be less angry, I think, if... I mean, maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't be. But if we would at least be honest, goddammit. Yeah, we're an oligarchy. That's America's system of government. Stop humping the flag and saying you love democracy. Like Bill Barr today. He he gave a speech about China. And I was watching it. It was giving me chills where he he called out well he spoke with in glowing praises for the Powell memo and first of all listening to Bill Barr's speech nothing says banality of evil like his monotone goddamn droning on his uh, his searching for the superior moral justification for his crimes I mean, really? He thinks we're all uh, friggin' fools, like the idiots who vote for the Republicans. The Powell memo? What do you... It's a, it's a blueprint to dominate. It's the, the Powell memo is a corporate blueprint to dominate democracy. That's all it is. Let's see. Let's read the Powell memo. I'm trying to find it. Powell memo. Not the summary. And he was saying that we have to, uh, um, we have to be careful because higher institutions and universities and whatnot are being, they're being infiltrated by communist influence and these people are, I guess, the professors and certain, I guess, uh, anybody who stands up. This is what the overarching message is. The professors are, they are inadvertently doing the work of the communist Chinese uh, authorities. So what he's saying is basically that when you stand up, so listen, listen, this is what's happening. 
So when somebody, it, it, wait, 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 hold on. I'm sorry. Let me get my thoughts straight. It is fascism. So what he's saying is he's preparing, he's laying the groundwork for when intellectuals, when scholars stand up and call them out, call out the fascist regimes, when somebody like, for example, Christopher Browning, the World War II historian, calls Mitch McConnell the grave digger of American democracy and compares him to Hindenburg in Germany who helped Hitler's rise to power. He, Bill Barr and his ilk, will start calling out the intellectuals and the scholars and the elites in that, uh, the, the intellectual elites, those, uh, um, and the experts, they will be called out as being agents of the communism. You understand? What's old is new again. It never changes for these fascists because they don't, they don't have to change. They're, all, they're fighting the oldest battle. Make the rich richer. Divide and conquer. They never change. It's the same old greed. So you don't need a new ruse. It's the greatest hits. And it's tiring, frankly. I get tired. Commie. Oh, God. Hear this again? They know, they, they can really bank on the stupidity of the people who follow them and vote for them and cheer for them. Because as I was watching Bill Barr's speech with a shiver up my spine because I could see the future, I was like, and I thought, we got to get these efforts out of office. No, there is no middle ground here. But I just was like, I could see, I see the future. If they are allowed to continue with their illegitimate power. Let me see. Oh, well, that's what they'll do. You'll see. You mark my words. They'll, anytime somebody steps up and calls them out, they will be vilified on the right wing as being agents of communism. Because dead eyes, a bunch of dead eyes. You ever notice how all the Republicans and the Trump ends, well, the Trump ends, just have crazy eyes, but the, the Bill Bars, well, especially Twitler, Ivanka, they all have dead eyes. Dead. Nothing in there. No soul, no connection. There's no humanity. That's why. So let's see. Confidential memorandum from Lewis F. Powell, who was the supreme. He was on, he was honored with his contribution to destruction the destruction of the American experiment by getting uh, like like how Kavanaugh has been honored with a lifetime position on the Supreme Court, where he can continue the fascist takeover of the country. So, August 71. This memorandum is submitted at your request as a basis for the discussion on August 21st 
with Mr. Booth and others at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The purpose is to identify problems and suggest possible avenues of action for further consideration. Dimensions of the attack. No thoughtful person can question that the American economic system is under broad attack. This varies in scope, intensity, and the techniques employed. And in the level of visibility, there have always been some who opposed the American system and preferred socialism or some form of statism. So this is what they do, you see. They wrap themselves in the flag. Corporatism is synonymous with uh, a mom and pop and apple pie in the fascist interpretation of the grand experiment. You know, when they say out of many, one, that means all the many serve the one. Not e pluribus unum, not everybody's in it together. It's every man and woman for themselves. They have it exactly backwards. All the many serve the one. This is what he's laying out here. Their system is under attack. You're goddamn right. It's called the goddamn Gilded Age. The, the Great Depression. It's the parasites riding the American worker to the bank unfettered by pesky government. In Lewis Powell's mind and all the fascists and the filthy conservatives and the filthy Republicans in their interpretation... Of course, they wrap themselves in the flag. All, all, forget e pluribus unum. It's, hey, I got mine, Jack. And anything that you say to prevent the rich from owning government, that is anti American. This is what they want you to believe. And that's why the idiots running around in their red, white, and blue fashion abortions, they're nothing but the useful idiots. Oh, freedom, freedom. What are you free from? Freedom? The freedom to be a powerless serf. The freedom to be smushed by the oligarchy. The freedom to be abused like a borrowed mule without any hope of ever having, I don't know, a day off, retirement, medical care. There have always been some who oppose the American system as if what they say is the American system. You see what they're doing? And that's why on this show and the real liberal media that you're looking at and those like it, we... Take back the mantle of patriotism. Enough is enough. We're the patriots. These people, they are undermining the patriots. What, what better to destroy a system but a wolf in sheep's clothing? Oh, yes. We're all about America. It's like the German-American Bund. All with all their flags flying and... Chance of make America great again. While standing against everything that America is supposed to be about. 
we're in this together, a nation of immigrants and the indigenous, that we can move forward together. Out of many, one, we have each other's backs. That we can have a system that, that is cooperative, that we can work together and build something that we've done it before. The great prosperity. Now all we got to do is allow everybody in. It's possible. If we allow it. If we don't be uh, fooled. If we're not bamboozled. I also, uh, also, there have always been critics of the system whose criticism has been wholesome and constructive so long as the objective was to improve rather than subvert. Please. Yeah, improve. What are we going to improve on? Anything uh, that we do to limit the power of concentrated wealth, they call it... They call it communism, socialism. They call it, oh, it's an attack on our whole way of life. It's not an attack. It's an attack. They're attacking us, our way of life, our very lives, not even just the way. We want to live. We'd like to have a fair share of the profits that our labor makes possible. But what now concerns us is quite new in the history of America. We are not dealing with an episodic or isolated attack from a relatively few extremists or from the minority socialist cadre. Rather, the assault on the enterprise system is broadly based and consistently pursued, and it is gaining momentum and converts. The sources are varied and diffused. They include, not unexpectedly, the communists, new leftists, other revolutionaries who would destroy the entire system, both political and economic. We can add to that Antifa. Let's, let's make it a little modern. Antifa, uh, the alt-left. Things that don't exist. Things that, where, where can I send my dues to Antifa? Anybody know where the meetings are? Uh, who leads this Antifa? These extremists of the left are far more numerous, better finance. Okay, really? I wish. Become a patron, please. <laughs> better finance. And increasingly are more welcomed and encouraged by other elements of society than before in our history. Oh, my God. Women, hold on to your boyfriend. But they remain a small minority and are not yet the principal cause for concern. The most disquieting voices joining the chorus of criticism come from perfectly respectable elements of society. From the college campuses, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals, the arts, the sciences, and from politicians. You see... Social justice. Oh, my God. People, everybody wants a seat at the table. It's, it's so un-American. It's exactly what, this is what Barr was saying today. 
lauding the Powell memo. When that's why I'm telling, I'm reading it. Because it is, I can't read the whole thing, frankly, because it's 30 pages long, 34 pages. But this is what we're up against. This whole Powell memo is really what we why we're in this boat. He wrote this memo to the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce is not an, uh, in it for e pluribus unum, my friends. They're in it for the oligarchy. They want you nice and compliant, and they want you a supplicant. And they want the American people fighting along racial lines at each other, at each other's throats, so we don't ever figure out, say, hey, as we're fighting, looking at each other, say, wait a minute. That's the guy. They don't want us unifying. And my God, Bill Barr? It's unreal. Because we don't have any, well, most of us don't have this institutional memory and we don't have the, uh, we don't have history. People don't know this history. When Even when Bill Barr today, when he's talked about the Powell memo, nobody, not everybody, I'm not saying everybody, but most people are like, oh, what's that? So now Bill Barr, he, he's already, he's begun the revisionist history of the Powell memo. If you are somebody who is progressive, liberal, normal, loves democracy, loves America, you know, a real patriot, the Powell Memo is like Reagan. It's kind of like ground zero. It is really the, well, here on Bill Moyers, he says, he describes it as the call to arms for corporations. It's why... We have a Fox News. Well, uh, in addition, it's how we got there. They laid out the blueprint. It's like it was their five-year plan, but a little longer or whatever. I don't know. How do you put it? So let's read Bill Moyer's summary. In the fall of 1972, the Venerable National Association of Manufacturers, NAM, made a surprising announcement. It planned to move its main offices from New York to Washington, D.C., as its chief, Bert Raines, observed. Quote, we had been in New York since before the turn of the century because we regarded this city as the center of business and industry. But the thing that affects business most today is government. The interrelationship of business with business is no longer so important as the interrelationship of business with government. In the last several years, that has become very apparent to us. To be more precise, what has become a p very apparent to the business community was that it was getting its clock cleaned. Used to have Used to having broad sway, employers faced a series of surprising defeats in the 60s and early 70s. As we have seen, these defeats continued unabated until when Richard Nixon won the White House. Despite electoral setbacks, the liberalism of the great society had surprising political momentum. 
From 1969 to 72, as the political scientist David Vogel summarizes in one of his best books on the political role of business, he says, virtually the entire American business community experienced a series of political setbacks without parallel in the post-war period. In particular, Washington undertook a vast expansion of its regulatory power, introducing tough and extensive regulations and requirements on business in areas from the environment to occupational safety to consumer protection. In corporate circles, this pronounced and sustained shift was met with disbelief and then alarm. By 1971, future Supreme Court Justice Lewis Powell, hold on, so annoying, felt compelled to assert in a memo that was helped to galvanize and uh, that helped galvanize business circles that he that the American economic system is under attack. This attack, Powell maintained, required mobilization for political combat. Business must learn the lesson that political power is necessary, that such power must be assiduously cultivated, and that, when necessary, must be used aggressively and with determination, without embarrassment and without reluctance, which has been so characteristic of American business. Moreover, Powell stressed the critical ingredient for success would be organization. Strength lies in organization, in careful, long-ranging planning implementation, in consistency of action over indefinite period of years, in the scale of financing available only through joint effort, and in the political power available only through united action and national organizations. Powell was just one of many who pushed to reinvigorate the political clout of employers. Before the policy winds shifted in the 60s, business had seen little need to mobilize anything more than a network of trade associations. It relied mostly on personal contacts, and the main role of lobbyists in Washington was to troll for government contracts and tax breaks. The, the explosion of policy activism and the rise of public interest groups like those affiliated with Ralph Nader created a fundamental challenge. And as the 70s progressed, the problem seemed to be getting worse. Powell wrote in 71, but even after Nixon swept to a landslide re-election the following year, the legislative tide continued to come in. With Washington, I mean, with Watergate leading to Nixon's humiliating resignation and a spectacular Democratic victory in 74, the situation grew more dire. The danger had suddenly escalated. Bruce Harlow senior Washington representative for Procter & Gamble, and one of the engineers of the corporate political revival was to say later, we had to prevent business from being rolled up and being put in a trash can by Congress. Powell, Howell, and others sought to replace the old boys' club with a more modern, sophisticated, and diversified apparatus, one capable of advancing employers' interests, even under the most difficult political circumstances. They recognized that business had hardly begun to tap its potential for wielding political power. Not only were the financial resources at the disposal of business leaders unrivaled, the hierarchical structures of corporations made it possible for a handful of decision-makers to deploy those resources and combine them with massive 
but underutilized capacities they're far flung or, um, of their far-flung organizations. These were the preconditions for an organizational revolution that was to remake Washington in less than a decade. And in the process lay the critical groundwork for what we have today, winner-take-all politics. So here's the thing, though. With all of this happening in the 70s, they're, they're writing, Powell wrote this memo in an atmosphere of uh, corporate, the uh, corporate regulation. But today's speech by Bill Barr, he referenced the Powell memo and presented the challenges of today's business community or whatever as some that some, this, they're under as they were under some kind of attack you understand meaning the question is when i ask all the time what more do they want the answer is obviously they want it all they are not losing you show me the Supreme Court, the, uh, the, where? Where do you see in the Supreme Court is, is the history of comforting the comfortable, empowering the powerful, and enriching the rich. So right now, the United States is the least upwardly mobile. We have the widest income gap of all Western democracies, when it used to be the slightest at the time where this memo was written, it was the slimmest. Now it's the widest. We used to be the most upwardly mobile when Powell wrote his memo. Now it's the, now it's the least upwardly mobile. And Bill Barr is presenting this Powell memo as if it still has, uh, as, as if it's appropriate, as if it, they weren't already the victors. You see, it's because exactly what we say here all the time on the show, they want it all. The goal here is not to have a functioning democracy where there's give and take. Okay, corporate power is out of control, clearly. Let's have people, they want a decent middle-class life. How do we get to this ground where we can all benefit from the work that the blood, sweat, and tears of the American people make possible. They don't want that. They want us to be nothing but compliant, malleable, easily suppressed, quiet, divided, and fighting amongst each other, every man and woman for themselves, serfs. You better believe it. That's why they're in right now in Georgia. We we talked about Kemp in in Greg Palace's book, where Kemp is illegitimately squatting in the Georgia governorship, despite receiving whatever he 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 well 
officially he received the most votes. But let's count all the people he kicked off the rolls. All of the voter registrations he neglected to add to the rolls. Why isn't he sitting in jail? Is this a functioning society that allows the crooks to become the lawmakers and governors? The crooks are the governors. This is like right out of any novel. So Kemp, I mean, where is it? All of this, the Powell memo, the the destruction of, the Powell memo really is the, it's like Bill Meyer said, it is the blueprint of a corporate takeover of this country. And the fact that Bill Barr presented it today while talking about, we've got to look out for the intellectuals. We got to really watch out that they're not overtaken by the, uh, communism, that they're not inadvertently doing the bidding of the communist Chinese. And presenting the Powell memo as if they're, they're still under attack. That's one of the characteristics of, a, of an autocratic takeover. The autocrat, the 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 empowered. It's like the Nazis too. They were always the victims. They always presented themselves as the victims, even against the Jews. They were being. They were only defending themselves. You see, when they rounded people up in the middle of the night, it was only in self-defense. It's like any destruction of a of a of you know a struggling fledgling trying to be a democracy as we are as being more than just an aspirational experiment holy moly but oh we're in trouble so let me see. I haven't checked in in a while. Yes. We stick together, we win. That's right, Haiku. And that's why they must tear us apart. And really, it, it's frightened me, to tell you the truth. When I was watching the pal, not pal, when I was watching Bill Barr, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing, we're all... I don't think that got a lot of news today. Let me see. I'm just looking it up. Barr condemns Disney and Hollywood for kowtowing to China. This is in The Guardian. I want to show you this picture. Oh, my God. Look at him. Ugh. He's he's so sincere. And then I was looking at the Twitter feed as it was being streamed. And, of course, a lot of bots saying, oh, yeah, we need to listen to Barr. And then I would go to Bot Sentinel and put in their 
handle. And of course, these were bots. So why would the Russian bots or whoever they would have, why would they have a vested interest in sowing this kind of bullshit line, this corporate line? Why? Because they have a vested interest in destroying democracy, in destroying Western democracy that works for all. Forget it. They don't. They want another, another, I mean, Trump is really doing everything that Putin has on his wish list. Oh, I can't read it in The Guardian. I don't have a subscription. I hate this. Everything has a subscription now. I have so many subscriptions. Ridiculous. That's why I say become a patron. Attorney General Bill Barr on Thursday accused U.S. tech and entertainment firms, several of them by name, of collaborating with the Chinese Communist Party. This is from Axios, David Lawler. What he's saying, if Disney and other American corporations continue to bow to Beijing, they risk undermining both their own future competitiveness and prosperity, as well as the classical liberal order that allowed them to thrive they have no shame, these people. They hide themselves in the veneer of legitimacy while attacking everything that has the ability to limit their power, their illegitimate power. Over the years, here's the excerpts. Over the years, corporates, corporations such as Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Apple have shown themselves too willing to collaborate with the CCP. American corporate leaders might not think themselves as lobbyists. You might think, for example, that cultivating a mutually beneficial relationship is necessary to do business with China. But you should uh, be alert uh, um, to how you might be used. Yeah, you just might be a useful idiot like a Trump and Z. But, you know, um, how could you tell through all those chants of USA, USA, USA? And how your efforts on behalf of a foreign company or government could implicate the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Background. Barr was the third in a series of speeches from to top Trump administration officials on China. doesn't explain much though let's see what Fox News says Barr warns of Chinese efforts to dominate industry calls out Hollywood of course tech giants for caving to pressure Attorney General Bill Barr delivered a dire warning to the US and the world on Thursday regarding what he said could be the most important issue for our nation and the world in the 21st century the Chinese Communist Party's global ambitions. Well, why don't you start, stop giving them everything they want? Stop pulling America's uh, out of every deal and leaving it open for the Chinese to step in and say, we'll take it from here. Discussing sectors including technology, pharmaceutical, and entertainment industry, Barr described how the Chinese communist, well, Chinese government is engaged in an economic blitzkrieg aimed at dominating the global economy. Well, what the hell? 
and replacing the U.S. as the world's top superpower. Well, they are doing what you're allowing them to do. The CCP has launched an orchestrated campaign across all of its many tentacles in the Chinese government and society to exploit the openness of our institutions in order to destroy them. So it's not Trump, you see. It's Disney. It's not that Trump is pulling us away from our Western partners and licking ass on all of the world's dictators and making us look like a bunch of douchebags all over the world, leaving us open to be being isolated and alone. It's it's Disney. It's the it's a friggin' uh, Pocahontas movie. I mean, it's ridiculous. These people, do they ever take responsibility for what they do? It's it's Apple. It's Disney. Barr said that the Chinese Communist Party Made in China 2025 initiative poses a real threat to U.S. technological leadership as China seeks to dominate a number of tech high, of high-tech industries. Well, because the Chinese... They have plans. They come up with five-year plans. And they, as a country, go forward together. We can't even decide to wear masks together in the middle of a pandemic because of these filthy divide-and-conquer charlatans. The Attorney General further warned that the U.S. is already dangerously dependent in certain areas such as rare earth minerals used in a wide variety of technological devices and active pharmacological agents, ingredients. My head is going to explode here. They have been shipping our jobs. What do you think these free trade agreements have been all about for 40 effing years? We can't make anything without the Chinese anymore. We don't make anything. But that's not because of Disney. Well, I guess it's because of Disney taking advantage of the laws that the corporates, corporations and the Powell memo set out. Saying corporations should take over government and to cover their tracks, they should own the media that will get the dum-dums in line, the stupids otherwise known as the Trump cult and their Republican enablers. As one defense health agency official noted, should China decide to limit or restrict delivery of APIs to the United States, it could result in severe shortages of pharmaceuticals for both domestic and military uses. We've been saying this for years how we can't make things in this country. If we ever had to go to war with China, we'd be SOL because we don't make anything. They make all parts for things that we need. That's because corporations, as set out in the POW memo, had to get their grip around government so that their their puppets would write laws to enable the corporations to destroy our unions and our American middle class by sending jobs to low-wage, wage-slave nations. So let's... Now that this is what... This is what Republicans do. This is what, what these fascists do. They break it, and then they 
say, oh, look, see how it's broken? They have done this. It's, and then they distract. They blame somebody else. See, you're not able to save $400, not because the rich own everything and the income gap between rich and poor is wider than it was in ancient Rome. It's not that. You're not you're living 80% like like with the rest of the American people, 80% of the American people are living check to check not because of the fact that the the rich own government and that they own the politicians who write the laws to concentrate wealth and make sure that you don't have the power to say anything about it that's the, you're not it's not that you you can't save $400 and you're living check to check it's not because of that it's because of a welfare queen you know so they once again they they uh they point out a problem that they themselves created and they know that it pisses us off and then they give us a scapegoat so we don't do anything about it. It's exactly how Twitler got elected. He knew that the there were fissures of disunity. That that this country was unhappy and suffering PTSD. That we're sick of it. We're sick of being at each other's throats. We see the fact that we can't. Even though we're working three uniquely American low-paying jobs, we can't get close to the standard of living of our grandparents. That they were able to retire and they, they could take a vacation. We see that. But that's what Twitler exploited. And instead of... Uh, we see that the middle class is, has been shipped all over to low-wage, wage-slave nations and that the American dream is alive and well in Denmark. But, so Twitler comes in, he points out the problems, and he says, well, you see, I feel your pain, I know what your problems are, but guess what? It's that caravan coming to get you, and those Antifas, and the... What I, I mean, it's the fact that um, war criminals aren't walking free at the moment. And I'll fix that. Give me a minute. Oh, God. Another scam. And, of course, as the scams continue, Joe Biden comes out today and says, Mr. President, please, Mr. President, please be the leader. Be the leader we need you to be already. That ain't gonna happen. It's time to admit it. <laughs> All right, where are you guys? How who's in this goddamn show? Where are you, people? All right. I want to say hi to you all. Let me see. You guys are having like your own conversation. You're not even paying attention. You're funny. 
that's okay. We're all in this together. I want to thank you all. Thank you for being a supporter of the show. If you like the show, give the show a good review on iTunes. We haven't had any good reviews lately. We haven't had any reviews, I should say. If you haven't yet gone over to the iTunes page to give a review, please do. Share the show with your friends. There's a lot of things you have to do when you watch the show. It's not just a passive experience. Whoa, whoa, hey. It is a participatory. You are expected to, I don't know, go to the Discord page. Join us on Discord. Please. Post your artwork on Discord, Shannon and others who are artistically inclined. I want to see pictures of your pets. I want to see selfies. I want to see I want to I want you to introduce yourself like Comfy Socks did. Cuz it's true, we stick together, we win. Thank you Richard for your super chat. Go to the Discord page. All right, one last thing before I go. I just wanted to read this to remind. I know that uh, Mary Trump is on Rachel Maddow tonight. Maybe we'll play clips. I hope to do the show tomorrow. Please become a patron at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin. And first, oh, hi, Tara Jr. Jr. Come on up. Everybody likes Tara Jr. Jr. Let's get him in here. <laughs> First, I want to play this clip of Tony Schwartz. He was on MSNBC earlier, and he gave an interview. Let's play it. Trump's niece is breaking her silence as her bombshell new tell-all book drops. Mary Trump, who is alleging that Trump is unfit for office with cheating as a way of life today, getting blunt about what the president should do. And if you're in the Oval Office today, what would you say to him? Resign. Mary Trump making the case Trump was traumatized by a tough father who she calls a sociopath who stunted Donald Trump's ability to develop the spectrum of human emotion. No kidding. What's the single most important thing you think the country needs to know about your uncle? He's utterly incapable <laughs> Hello. of leading this country. And it's dangerous to allow him to do so. Hello. Based on what you see now or what you saw then? Based on what I've seen my entire adult life. All right, joining me now is Art of the Deal co-author and friend of the show, Tony Schwartz. Tony, good to have you back on. So uh, Mary saying there that Trump is incapable of doing the job based on what she saw her entire adult life. How does that compare to what you saw working with him? Uh, I feel great kinship with Mary Trump. Uh, that is exactly the way I would say, having observed Trump for nearly my entire adult life, that he is indeed a, a psychopath or a sociopath. They're interchangeable. I, you know, it's fascinating to see her confirm and deepen uh, many of the observations that I've made over the last four years. And 
you know, and and most recently when I when I wrote in, uh, about him as the psychopath in chief on Medium, that this is a man, as she says, without empathy and without conscience, and that makes him stunningly dangerous. Are you at all really quickly surprised by why she's coming out now and didn't so ahead of 2016 with this very intimate and personal uh, information that she knows as a family member? No, if I were going to be surprised by anything, I'd be surprised that she is coming out at all, ever. No other Trump family member has stepped forward to say one negative word about him. Look, you've actually got four generations, at least four generations of sociopaths in the Trump family. His Boom. grandfather, Frederick Trump, owned whorehouses. His father, uh, Fred Trump, she makes very clear, Mary Trump does, makes very clear was a man without conscience or empathy. Trump himself is that way, and now he has hostages in his children who seem to have almost exactly the same qualities. It's a generational tragedy. So one of the things that she talks about, as you as well alluded to, was Fred Trump's influence on Donald. Listen to what she said. One of the unforgivable things my grandfather did to Donald was he severely restricted the range of human emotion that was accessible to him. Certain feelings were not allowed. Sadness the impulse to be kind, the impulse to be generous, those things that my grandfather found superfluous, unmanly. He says a sociopath. Yes. <laughs> I know that you agree with that. You just said so. So I assume you also agree with that fact that those feelings have not and are not being passed down in the Trump generations? No, you can see it in the in the three oldest children, their inability to empathize, their the, the the very narrow range of emotions that they show, and the inauthenticity that you feel, especially from Ivanka, who's probably the one who uh, is been well. I don't know if she's been most influenced. All three of them have, but she's certainly mm -hmm. been profoundly influenced. Um, you know, this is a portrait of trauma, and that in itself is an enormous contribution to the to the to the uh, public because that experience that those Trump kids had is along a spectrum, and nearly all children experience some level of trauma, and it is fundamentally ignored in our culture. We don't pay much attention to the internal lives of people and to the, influ the, the effect of their early childhood experiences. And you see the insidious impact of what's going on inside for Donald Trump in how he behaves on the yeah. outside. All right, Tony Schwartz, I'm going to let you go to respond to what sounds like some viewer text messages already coming into uh, some of your comments there. Tony Schwartz, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this hour. And there you go. She, she marked these words. Is this on? Oh, yeah. Okay, I couldn't hear myself for a second. Mary Trump. History will remember her as a hero. History will revile all of the Trump Anzies. History will won't be kind to uh, to Ivanka, 
to Eric, to Donald, to Melania, to Twitler. Mark those words. You know it. They will revile, history will revile the, the Trump crime family, and Mary Trump will be remembered as the true patriot she is. She is modeling bravery. She's going against her family. F them. That's her patriotic duty. It is the patriotic duty of every American to resist this treasonous, dangerous, greed-centered death cult. And as I was speaking uh, earlier, I just want to show you something. On, let's see, here we go. This Twitter thing here, uh, it annoyed the hell out of me. So Fauci was talking to Mark Zuckerberg. And I wrote, uh, I wrote something like, who cares? What, whatever. But this guy here, and I looked it up. I, he, he came back as a bot. So he wrote, this man is corrupt like Nigeria. Bill Gates and China have him where they want him. That's why the WHO covered up for China, because Bill Gates paid them to do so. Source U.S. president. Don't ask me for evidence. Ask the U.S. president for evidence because I'm a strong believer. So I looked it up and it's, I said, funny how Twitter has so many Russian bots. He came back as a bot. As I said, I gave you my source, the U.S. president, and I believe him. Like I said, Bill Gates, China, and Dr. Fauci are in the business of COVID-19 together. They have motives. Bill Gates wants depopulation. China wants power. Fauci wants money. Prove me wrong. Like I got, this is supposed to be this person. You think it's really a true, a real person? I'm not, uh, uh, who is this person? Uh, this is what I'm saying. These effing Russian bots. Why does... Twitter needs so many fake Russian bots accounts to give his complete takeover and destruction of democracy this seemingly average Joe stamp of approval. So we have this Ifemi Obimwa, some strange African name, I suppose. It's supposed to give it authenticity. Some poor sucker had his 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 picture harvested off the internet as any of them can do and all he does is tweet about his love for twitler unbelievable this is a psyops campaign president donald j trump has been vindicated he has been saying this all along Look, oh, Florida, it's being, it's a tweet, re, retweeted. 33 Florida labs busted, padding the numbers, reporting 98% instead of 9.8%. MAGA lady. Holy shit. So, if labs got something wrong, some labs, let's see. Oh, great. Now I can't read the damn article. Some labs weren't reporting negative coronavirus cases. 
Okay. Several lab companies that process coronavirus tests from Florida have reported incomplete data to the state, officials said Tuesday, creating discrepancies in the number. Well, this is what happens when you have a pandemic and there's chaos in a for-profit health system and there's mil- not millions, but there everybody has a different system that they're under, all kinds of insurance and billing and copay and deductible and all things, all hoops you got to jump through. So, and labs are overwhelmed. There are humans involved, so there will be mistakes. Oh my God, I can't argue. Prove me wrong. First of all, you're a bot, so I won't prove you wrong. I don't have the time. You're not a human being, and even if you were a human being, you're a Stupid. You're a dupe of a con man. And that's who we're up against. This is why you don't give the freaks power. Really? They can't they can't deal with it. They're not capable. Wow. Thank you, John, for your super chat. John writes, thank you for all your hard work and dedication. I appreciate it. And your little cat emojis. There you are. See? That looks like Francis and Tara Jr. Jr. Well, if they only had a... The the orange one looks like Junior, Tara Jr. And maybe they need a little black cat. And that would look... Well, he's gray. Gray tabby. Look like Francis. One last thing. So I I didn't plan on showing you that tweet, but the as we were watching the video, it came in and it irritated me. Prove me wrong. I believe the president. I wanted to read the last thing where we were going to read is the article that Tony Schwartz spoke about that he he published on May twenty eighth, called the Psychopath in Chief. So Tony Schwartz is the guy who ghost wrote Art of the Deal. So he writes, I spent hundreds of hours with Donald Trump to ghost write Art of the Deal, and I, I see a deeper meaning behind his behavior. Imagine, if you can, not having a conscience, none at all, no feelings of guilt or remorse, no matter what you do, no limiting sense of concern for the well-being of others, friends, or even family members. Imagine no struggles with shame. Not a single one in your whole life. No matter what kind of selfish, lazy, harmful, or immoral action you had taken, you can do anything at all. And still, your strange advantage over the majority of people who are kept in line by their consciences consciences, will most likely remain undiscovered. How will you live your life? What would you do with your huge and secret advantage? And that's a quote from Martha Stout, The Sociopath Next Door, which I read that book, and I've referenced it here before. And it's it's pretty well-known book. A lot of people have written, have wrote it. I can, wrote it? Written it? I No, read it. <laughs> I always say that. I didn't read it. Anyway, I always, whatever. Let's hope it's not dementia. Among the accomplishments Donald Trump parades most proudly is that he won 18 golf club championships. Like so many of his claims, this one is pure fiction. 
When the sports writer Rick Riley investigated his book, Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump, he found that 16 of the claims were transparently false and no evidence existed to support the other two. In one instance, Trump said he won a championship at the Bedminster, New Jersey club he owns, even though he was in Philadelphia on the day of the event. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I just want to show you Tara Jr. Oh, <clears throat> he was staring at me, as he does. He just stares at me. He loves me. When Trump does play, Riley reported, he takes mulligans, extra strokes that aren't counted in one score. He throws opponents' balls off the greens and into the bunkers. He kicks his own errant shots back onto the fairway so often that one of his caddies nicknamed him Pele <laughs> after the soccer star. Trump doesn't just cheat at golf, Riley concluded. He cheats like a three-card <laughs> Monty dealer. He throws it, boots it, and moves it. And he lies, and he lies, and he lies about his lies. He fudges and foozles and fluffs. How do we deal with a person whose core impulse in every part of his life is to deny, deceit, deflect, disparage, and double down every time he's challenged? And what precisely is the danger of such a person if he also happens to be the leader of the free world during a crisis in which thousands of people are dying every day with no let up in sight? The first answer is that we must understand exactly who we're dealing with and what we have not because what motivates Trump's behavior is so far from our own inner experience that it leaves us feeling, feeling forever flummoxed. The trait that most distinguishes psychopaths is their utter absence of conscience, the capacity to lie, cheat, steal and inflict pain to achieve their ends without a scintilla of guilt or shame as Trump so demonstrably does. In July of 2016, shortly before Trump became the Republican nominee for president, I was interviewed by Jane Mayer for an article in the New Yorker that was eventually titled Donald Trump's Ghostwriter Tells All. Mayer described my experience with Trump over the 18 months it took me to write the art of the deal. During that time, I spent hundreds of hours with him. Like many other Trump critics, I believe that he was driven by an insatiable, narcissistic hunger to be loved, accepted, admired, and praised. That remains a prima facie true. Is that how you pronounce that correctly? Now that I'm saying that, I feel like I might have said it wrong. Prima, wait. Yeah, prima facie, right. That remains prima facie true, but it deflects attention from what drives Trump more deep, deeply, the need to dominate. His primary goal is to win at any cost, and the end always justifies the means. Ultimately, he doesn't care what anyone thinks or feels. For Trump, the choice between dominating and being loved, saving himself or saving others is no contest. The catalyst for my shift came after a friend sent me a long paper written by Vince Greenwood, a Washington, D.C.-based psychologist. Greenwood makes a detailed clinical case that Trump is a psychopath, 
a term that is now used nearly interchangeably with sociopath, psychologists continue to debate whether it's legitimate to diagnose anyone from a distance without the benefit of clinical interview. In Trump's case, his life history is so well documented that through that, that a thorough assessment does seem possible. As I once did up close, we can observe every day which psychopathic traits Trump manifests in his behavior. The highly regarded psychology hair psychology checklist enumerates 20 of them. By my count, Trump clearly demonstrates 16 of the traits and his overall score is far higher than any average prison inmate. The trait that most distinguishes psychopaths is the other absence of conscience, the capacity to lie, cheat, steal, and inflict pain to achieve their ends without a scintilla of guilt or shame, as Trump so demonstrably does. What Trump's words and behavior make clear is that he feels no guilt about hurting others more than a lion does about killing a giraffe. Let's face it, actor and Trump supporter James Woods tweeted recently, Donald Trump is a rough individual. He's vain, insensitive, and raw. To which Trump blithely responded, I think that's a wonderful compliment. Thanks, James. Absence of conscience gives Trump the license to invent his own rules, define his own reality, declare victory in any competition, and insist on his superior expertise on the subjects about which he knows nothing about. What makes Trump's behavior challenging to fathom is that our minds are not wired to understand human beings who live outside these norms, the norms of rules, laws, and values that the vast majority of us take for granted. Conscience, empathy, and concern for the welfare of others are all essential to the social contract. Conscience itself reflects an inner sense of obligation to behave with honesty, fairness, and care for others, along with the willingness to express contrition if we fall short of those ideals, and especially when we harm others. Repentance for one's sins is a basic tenet of every major religion, but Trump ad. And, uh, what am I saying here? But Trump... Wait, I lost my place. Shit. I, the damn thing scrolled up. But Trump adamantly resists seeking forgiveness from anyone for anything that he's done. I have a great relationship with God. He told CNN Jake's, Jake's tap... I can't say Jake... Jake Tapper, during the 2016 presidential campaign. I like to be good. I don't like to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. So long as we seek to understand Trump's motivations and behaviors through our own lens, we will feel forever at sea. Viewing Trump through his lens helps clarify what his behavior is completely predictable and why it has become more extreme during each year of his presidency. When somebody is president, Trump declared on April 13th, the authority is total. And that's the way it has to be. It's total. It's total. When it's become clear Trump that when it's come clear to Trump that total authority is also meant 
personal responsibility, he backed off that claim. But Trump is akin to a battering ram. He just keeps coming at you. The only limitation on his behavior is whether he believes you can get away with it. People with a strong sense of conscience speak truth to power, Greenwood explains. Trump speaks power to truth. Isn't that, isn't that really everything, that sentence right there? Trump speaks power to truth. And this is why I say I don't speak truth to power because power cares nothing about the truth. Trump is the personification of that. It's almost like the same thing we were talking about with Joe Biden. I'm speaking truth to that power. No, honey, Twitler's not a president. And how dare you give him that honorific and go along with the game, go along with the scam as if we don't see. And thank you for doing that because you're keeping us sick. And I mean thank you sarcastically. Since his election in 2016, Trump has told more than 18,000 lies, and I'm sure it's more now, without acknowledging or apologizing for any of them. The frequency of his lies have risen from five per day to, in the first year of his presidency to more like 23 a day in 2020. For Trump, lying is second nature. Facts are simply obstacles to be batted away when they contradict his preferred fictions. It is, in fact, it is a fact, for example, that Trump has been a defendant in nearly 1,500 lawsuits over the past three decades by government agencies seeking to collect unpaid taxes on his properties, contractors trying to get paid for services rendered, and his companies and women with, uh, who have charged him with sexual assault. As far back as 1973, Trump and his father, Fred, were sued by the U.S. government for refusing to rent to African Americans. Um, in Trump Village, a project, a housing project built by his father, Fred. The two Trumps fought the charges for two years, but eventually co-signed a consent order that included agreeing to taking a series of actions to end their discrimination. In 2015, Trump settled two class action lawsuits charging him with defrauding students at Trump University by paying $25 million in penalties and agreeing to close down the business. In 2018, in response to a lawsuit filed by the New York Attorney General and his, uh, against Trump and his three oldest children alleging persistently illegal contact, conduct, the Trumps agreed to shut down their phony foundation and to allow its remaining assets to be directed to charities chosen by the court. The second quality that tr sets Trump apart is his lack of empathy in the face of a crisis like COVID-19. We expect leaders to feel our pain and to respond with expressions of compassion and comfort, not Trump. In 13 hours of comments he made over the recent three-week period, the Washington Post reported that he spent a total of two hours attacking others, including the media, 45 minutes praising himself and his administration, and a total of 4.5 minutes expressing con wrote condolences for the COVID-19 victims and frontline workers. Trump doesn't appear to make heartfelt 
connections with anyone, nor to value relationships beyond the extent to which they serve his immediate self-interest. Turnover in his administration is 85%. In the first 32 months, that dwarves that of his five most recent predecessors for their entire terms together. Trump treats even his relationships with his family members as transactional. Consider the way he describes his relationships with his father, arguably the most important influence in his life. I was never intimidated by my father, he said, the way other people were. He explained to me in The Art of the Deal. I stood up to him and he respected that. We had a relationship that was like business-like. Sometimes I wonder if we'd had, had gotten along so well if I hadn't been as business-oriented as I am. Trump rarely speaks with affection about Melania, his third wife, or any of his children, with the exception of Ivanka, or his grandchildren. <laughs> I know friends who leave their businesses so they can spend more time with their children, and I say, give me a break. Trump once explained, my children couldn't love me more if I spent 15 times more with them. But his children sometimes described a different experience of their father. In 2004, Donald Jr. told a reporter, my father is a very hardworking guy and that's his focus in life. So I got a lot of the paternal attention that a boy needs and wants from my grandfather. In 2006, Trump's younger son, Eric, mused that he was largely raised by his older brother. My father, I love and appreciate, he said. But he always worked 24 hours a day. And work, by the way, was looking at swatches. That's me talking. Banging porn stars and looking at swatches. Trump expects and demands loyalty, but only goes... It only goes in one direction. His mentor, Roy Cohn, served dutifully as his attorney for many years. Roy was brutal, but he was a very loyal guy. Trump told biographer Tim O'Brien, he brutalized for you. For the art of the deal, Trump described Cohen as, or Cohn as the sort of guy who'd be there at your hospital bed, literally standing by you to the death long after everyone has bailed out. As for Cohn, he referred to Trump not just as his client, but also one of his closest friends. Still, when Cohn was diagnosed with AIDS in 1984, Trump effectively ended the relationship. Donald found out about it and dropped him like a hot potato, explained Cohn's longtime secretary, Susan Bell. It was like night and day. According to Bell, Cohn wasn't surprised. Donald pisses ice water, he told her ruefully. The third trait that most characterizes Trump is his need for dominance and the, evidence, and the evident pleasure he takes in exercising it. I love getting even when I get screwed by someone, he explains in his book, Thinking Big and Kicking Ass. Well, not he's, it's called Think Big and Kick Ass. I always get even. When you are in business, you need to get even, even with people who screw you. You need to screw them back 15 times harder in the absence of a conscience to shape and limit his behavior trump defaults to a more primitive and predatory impulse life for him is a zero-sum game he either wins or loses dominates or submits 
This explains why Trump felt no compunction about lashing out at a frequent critic, Joe Scarborough, by falsely accusing him of murder. Even in the absence of a shred of evidence, cruelty is second nature to Trump. Perhaps nowhere is Trump's need to dominate more evident than his relationship with women. Captured most vividly in his comments to Billy Bush on the Access Hollywood tape, You know I'm automatically attracted to beautiful women. I just start kissing them, he bragged. It's like a magnet. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You could do anything. Grab them by the pussy. More than 20 women have now publicly accused Trump of sexual assault. Another tactic that Trump employs is to assert his authority by declaring his unique expertise on virtually every subject. He instinctively disdains and diminishes the knowledge of experts, including scientists, and instead casts himself as the leading expert on anything and everything. Topics that Trump have have claimed to know more about than anyone include ISIS, drones, social media, campaign finance, technology, polls, courts, lawsuits, politicians, trade, renewable energy, infrastructure, construction, environmental impact statements, nuclear weapons, banks, tax laws, income, money, and the economy. In fact, because he can never focus his attention for long, his knowledge about any subject tends to be superficial and limited. Trump has even felt free to contradict the health care professionals in his own team meetings during the COVID-19 crisis, most notably describing the p- potential healing power of injecting disinfectants into the body. Every one of the doctors said, how come you know so much about this? He explained, maybe I have a natural ability. So what does all of this tell us how we can expect Trump to behave going forward? The simple answer is worse. His obsession with domination and power have prompted Trump to tell lies more promiscuously than ever since he became president and to engage in even more unfounded and aggressive responses aimed at anyone he perceives stands in his way. In the end, Trump does what he does because he is who he is. The research now strongly suggests that the absence of conscience has strong hereditary basis, even as it may also be activated by adverse childhood experiences. The genetic abnormality itself manifests in a limbic system, in the limbic system, the set of brain structures involved in the processing of emotions. People without conscience, it turns out, often have an undersized and underactive amygdala and less gray matter in the limbic area of the brain. And that's conservatives in a nutshell, really. They have larger amygdalas, the fear center, and they are low-effort thinkers, so... For four years, along with millions of other Trump critics, I've wrestled with the best way to respond to a president who is incapable of shame or empathy and cares only about his self-interest. There is no effective treatment for a person with these traits, and Trump wouldn't seek one if there was because he genuinely doesn't believe there's anything wrong with him. The horrifying truth is that it's precisely what he's missing that gives him the permanent advantage over the vast majority of us who are guided by conscience and concern for others. Trump revels in attention, domination, and cruelty. 
The sociopath wants to manipulate and control you, explains Martha Stout. And so you are rewarding and encouraging him every time you allow him to see your anger, confusion, or hurt. Even so, in order to protect our democracy and our shared humanity, it is critical to push back calmly and persistently against every single lie Trump tells and every legal and moral boundary he violates. We must resist what Hannah Arendt called the banality of evil, the numbness and normalizing that is so easily sets in when the unconscionable acts become commonplace. Under conditions of terror, most people will comply, Arendt has written, but some people will not. Understanding what we're truly up against, the reign of terror that Trump that is Trump, will almost surely wage the moment he believes he can completely prevail. Makes the um the upcoming presidential election a true Armageddon. And he ends as by saying, vote as if your life depends upon it, because it does. And that's what I've been saying here forever. I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I know that was a long article. Half of you probably hit the road, hit the bricks, but I thought it was an important thing to read, and I will be putting it in our Discord page on our article list, so you can read it yourself. And I will also put the PAL memo in there, and other articles that we read on the show, including the Washington Post article that we read in the beginning of the show about how Trump, the Trump family, thinks the rules don't apply to them, as the Goya endorsements prove. That is a violation of law, the Hatch Act, that prevent is supposed to. It's there. If there are no consequences for violating the law, then why why won't they? Of course they're going to keep violating the law. So what's going to happen to them with, once again, they had the, the ultimate, the unmitigated goal to, to hawk a private company's product right in the uh, goddamn Oval Office on the Resolute Dex desk while the American people are dying and sick and unemployed and fighting amongst each other. Some aren't wearing masks. The, and some, in, especially in Georgia, Kemp is making it illegal for local, you know, because Republicans are all about small government, local control, and when the local control says, wear your mask, in comes the bigger control and says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If people wear masks, that means not everybody's going to die. So we have to get in there and do something about it. We want more Americans to die. We want more confusion, more death, more people going and fighting each other and going to school and coming home with the coronavirus and giving it to Granny, who's on Social Security. We don't want to pay Granny Socialist Security anymore. We need that money to funnel into Twitler's pockets. That's mad money for them. 
Oh my God, it's almost insurmountable, really. Oh, all right, my friends. We're doing a lot of reading on the show lately. Look at the cat, though. Look at the cat. Look at the cat. I will try to have a show tomorrow night. I really will. What do you think of that? Is that okay for you? What do you think? Anybody want to tell me what they think of that? Do we have anybody left on the chat? Let's see. I don't know why my restreams chat isn't connected. It's really irritating. Restream, I pay for the restream. Well, you pay for the restream. You know what I mean? With your patrons. Patreon. This is an investment. All right, cool. Richard says yes. Andrea says yes. Terry says, I'm so depressed. I get it. I'm with you, kid. I am depressed, too. It sucks. That's why we're in this together, man. I am so effing depressed. It's uh, it's almost scary sometimes. I'm not kidding. It feels... I, I just feel like, oh my God, why? Why did my grandmother leave Ireland? Why am I here? This is horrible. Daniel says, this really helps me. Tara, thank you, Tara and all. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Haiku. We are building a community. It's true. It's a very supportive community as well. And that's why I ask you to go to Discord. I thought you, you knew I was going to say, you thought I was going to say Patreon. <laughs> go to Discord and become a, well, sign up. You don't have to be a patron to be in our Discord community. But you can go there. We're building a community. We want more, more people. The more, the merrier. Please become a patron and give the show a good review on iTunes. Look at Tara Jr. scratching his ear. What's the matter? Look at this cat, though, for a second. Look at him. Look at his hand. <laughs> That's what he does. He loves me. Put your hand back. <laughs> no, you can't force it. Look, <laughs> that's what he does. He just loves me. I love you. I love this cat. It's not even funny. I think this is my soulmate, sadly enough. <laughs> right? Isn't that sad? It is sad. It's pathetic, really. But what are you going to do? Look at him. Just look at him. Look at what he's doing. You're very good. You're a good boy. <laughs> All right. We might have a guest tomorrow. I hope I get some super chats. 
not super chats. Well, super chats too, but patron patrons will do. We need more patrons. I keep pushing it because it sucks. I know it sucks. I hate it. I hate having to do it. I wish my father was a rich person instead of a garbage man, and then I wouldn't have to bother anybody. I would just do the show. But we're trying to get to the point where the show is uh, a daily thing. It's a daily thing now, probably because, first of all, it is a, it's a daily thing because I'm stuck in the house, too. But also, when you become a patron, I am doing a show. I'm trying to do the Patreon challenge. If you become a patron, we'll do a show. But I'm also doing it as well for my mental health. And everybody's mental health, I guess. We need the, to be together. Yeah, the phone line's open soon. We, yeah, we'll do that. That's a good idea. Haiku. I should have put them on tonight, really. We'll, we'll, we'll open them up on a show that's not on Saturday because the Saturday shows have the... It's two hours and they have the music breaks and blah, blah, blah. So we'll open the phone lines maybe tomorrow. I mean, we're going to have Jeff Waldoff on the show if he's still going to be able to make it from TYT Media. You know Jeff Waldoff. He's, he's going to come on. And maybe that would be nice. Well, the phones will be open then and you guys can call in and we can all talk and have a nice conversation. A nice conversation. Yeah, right? You want that too, right? Right, Junior? What do you think? Yes? Phone? Silent? He's being very... very quiet about it. Yes, the phones. It's a good idea. Did I? I didn't even log into the phones tonight. Let me see. Let me see if anybody left a message. Hold on. The show is basically over, but I am. That's why if you are on the podcast listening to this, you're like, "What is going on?" I hear nothing. <clears throat> I'm logging into the phones. No, we didn't receive any new messages. If, because I haven't put the phone number up in a while, but it's in the description. You can always leave a message. If you don't want to call in or whatever, if you're listening offline when we're not doing it live, you could call in and leave a message. What's the number? It is... Where's the damn number? Beep, bop, boop, bop, boop, bop, boop. Where's the number? Holy shit. I hate when that happens. I'll have to set it up. The number, I'll read it out. It's 360 let me see if I can type it. No, I don't want to do it because it'll probably crash the machine while I'm if I'm doing it live. 
It's in the description. Three six zero seven 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 six zero zero seven. That is the phone number. There's many things wrong with the eCam. I have to tell you the way it's set up. I don't understand it. Sometimes I really don't. Why you can't copy and paste things? You can't. I can't open mi movies, except I have to drag them in. You can't. There are many things that. But it's all. It's a good thing. It's all overall. It's a good little tool, a live stream tool, and the guy who invented it, he actually got on a phone call with me. We did a Zoom call and a screen share, and he he tried to help <laughs> getting some of the things. And some of the things are not working, but he's he promises that they'll work eventually. So I'm giving it a plug, I guess. <laughs> not a very good plug, not a very powerful and passionate plug, but a plug, all the less, nonetheless. You guys, oh my God, listen, listen up, man. Guys, 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 guys. We're gonna go to, we're gonna get it. We'll meet you on the astral plane, okay? We are going to get unconscious. We do everything together. Like I say, we stick together, we win. Oh my god. They're a bunch of commies. They were they do everything together. So yes, Jeff Waldorf. Check him out. We were on that we went to that Minds event. I was on that Minds event panel. And he was one another panelist. He was one of the another liberal panelist. It was all a bunch of right wingers. So we hung out a little bit, and and when we were hanging out, I was like, "Oh, you got to come on the show." You know, this was like a year ago. So I'm a woman of my word. It might take a while. So I was like, I keep thinking of Jeff. I promised him to come on the show. So I was like, Hey, you want to come on the show? Just come on the goddamn show already. Right? And we'll open up the phone lines. Maybe that's a good idea. What do you think of that? We'll talk a little bit. We'll talk. We'll get to know each other some more. And, yeah, we'll make it through another day. Pushing for the real patriotic values. The We will be pushing for the society that is worthy for of us worthy of us we won't rest until we well except when we get unconscious right now all right guys tara junior he is scratching his ears a lot are you okay what's going on in your ear let me see let's inspect it <laughs> look at this ear. Let me see your ear. You look okay. It looks okay. What do you think? <laughs> you like that, don't you? All right, guys. It's been pretty cool. Thank you for hanging out. 
Thank you for all your super chats yet again. I want to say thank you, Jim. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Richard. We stick together. We win. Thank you, John, for all your hard work and dedication. Right back at you. Uh-oh. Tara Jr., stop that. He's biting the wire. Not good. Not good. It's at times like this I know you're not human <laughs> when you start biting wires. <laughs> all the time. I'm always kind of confused about that. He's very human to me. He's a person. And then he goes out. He goes off and bites a wire, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's a he's a cat. He's a cat. What goes on in his cat mind? That's the other thing I think about with them. Like, what's going on in your cat head right now? What's it like to have a cat brain? What are you thinking when you see when when I take you to the vet and you scream at the top of your lungs? What are you? Why are you screaming? What do you think about the world? That's why I think of I think about us. I think well, I have a whole spiritual theory about humans. It's not really the right time to talk about it, but since I brought it up, I think my spirituality in a sense, oh, well you guys know I practice Buddhism. I am in the SGI. It's a lay Buddhist organization, blah blah blah. And I but I have this theory about people but humans that we're kind of like the cat in the apartment you know what i mean we know we know a lot we're smart but we don't have the we don't even have the language to ask the questions you know what i mean about the mysteries of the universe Sort of like the cat in the apartment, who, like Tara Jr., Jr., for example, who is smart. He, he, uh, he's toilet trained, after all. He uses a toilet like a person, better than most people I know, cleaner than most people I know. He's got more integrity. And in general, he's got more integrity than half the humans I've known, I know. But he doesn't know that when... I, we go out of the apartment or I leave the apartment and I go out and there's a whole universe out there. I get on a subway or I go to Manhattan and I do work at a TV station or something and the TV, we're making things uh, happen on uh, these screens and they being bounced on satellites and there were satellites all over space and people sent satellites to Mars and Pluto and there are people, uh, you know, have gone to the moon and you know what I mean? He doesn't know that whole big picture. He wouldn't even, I couldn't explain it to him. He doesn't have the language. He doesn't have the capacity to grasp it. That's who we are. Except when it comes to the universe, God, so to speak, we don't speak that language. So life has so many layers, you know, and we, we just can't, there's no way we can even comprehend it, but we are still affected by it. That's why 
I always say, too, that we are in this together. Whether we know it or not, whether we can understand it or not, doesn't mean that it's not affecting us. So I think that's what I mean when I say we're like the cat in the apartment. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm talking really low right now, too, right? Yes. I just, that's who we are, people. We have, we're very smart. We've done a lot of amazing things, but we still don't know the, all of the layers to life. And that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. Because you know. Like, for example, x-rays, gamma rays, microwaves, all these things existed. They existed in the primordial ooze when our ancestors were running around. Uh, homo habilis, homo erectus, all those millions of years ago. They were still there, but now we have instruments that measure these things. Now we know they're there. But they were there all the time. Eh, whatever. <laughs> eh, whatever. Let's just gotta let's just gotta get unconscious. So that's how I you know what annoys me about the these evangelicals is that their their definitiveness, their their certainty about what God is. It's like how dare you? That just goes to tell show you how small they are cuz they don't know they no, they don't know they don't we don't know what we don't know have the humility to know that you don't know what you don't know be that curious person right? try to learn more when you say this is how it is that ends the conversation right there you're there's nothing more to explore you have all the answers then. Oh, it's a man on a cloud. Okay. Well, whatever. They have such a boring concept of life. It's so small, just like they are. Jeez. All right, my friends. That's life. It is a mystery. I'm still here. That's a mystery. Yeah, okay, I gotta get unconscious because I have to get up early. I don't have to, but I like to. I've been sleep, I've had tr trouble sleeping because of my anxiety, probably. Like last night, I was up until 3 a.m. It's not good. It's not good for my mental health. And without my mental health, that's it. It all goes spiraling out. So thank you all for all of your super chats, all of your love, all of your support. I want to thank our new patron friends. Uh, and please become a patron if you are not already. But you don't have to be a patron to join us on Discord. So there is a link. So go to the Discord page. We'll build the community. I want to thank again. Thank you. Mark and wait, the page just disappeared. Mark and Kathleen Hartsky, thank you so much for your incredible patronage. 
I want to thank, let's see, wait, wait, wait. I just lost all the pages. I want to thank you, Darius Harris. Thank you for becoming a page, taking that extra step. And Andrew, for your your nicely timed patronage right as we went on air. It was a nice surprise. You made me happy. But it doesn't matter what time you become a pain. I What I really like is when I get unconscious and in the morning I look and I see a new patron. Then I say, okay, we're doing a show tonight. And I also feel like, all right, we're we're moving. We're We're going in the right direction. You know what I mean? I don't feel like, I keep saying that too, you know what I mean? I can't help it. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Darius and Mark and Kathleen and Roger and Verdant Square Network and Mark Uncle Smokey and Eric and Brendan and Frank. I'm going through the latest. And John and Laura, and Wendy, Lori, and John, again, who's also in, gave us Super Chat tonight, G. Miller, and Linnell, and that's the first page, so there you go. All right, my friends, thank you for being early adopters of Terror Buster. And for all your support, please become a patron at patreon.com slash taradevlin. Give the show a good review on iTunes. Why don't you also, you know what else you could do? <laughs> write your, f- not write, um, share the show with your friends, okay? Just give, tell people, watch the damn show, all right? If they like it. Become a page. Or not. Just don't, just come and hang out. Whatever. You know what to do. My name is Tara Devlin. I will see you soon. Tomorrow night, as I always say, we stick together. We win. We are on the right side of history. We are on the right side of democracy. We are on the right side of humanity. And I will see you tomorrow night.